Okay, can I welcome members uh, um, to today's meeting of the um, Committee for Infrastructure? Uh, can I advise members to the need to maintain social distancing during the meeting? And I'll just provide a brief overview of today's business. Uh, so the committee will consider subordinate legislation, briefing from Northern Ireland Water, PC1, briefing from Newry Business Improvement District, controlled uh, parking zones. Uh, can I advise members that due to some witnesses and members joining the meeting remotely, it would be helpful if members use the hand up icon to register what they wish to ask uh, when they wish to ask questions on each agenda item. Also, if members and witnesses could mute their mic when they are not speaking, that would allow everyone to hear the evidence and follow the meeting. Can I also advise members that the room must be vacated at 1 pm at the latest, and I request that members bear this in mind when asking questions. Uh, so firstly, agenda item number one, apologies. Do we have any apologies? None noted. Okay. Uh, go now to uh, item no agenda number two, chairperson's business. Can I advise members that given that we are due to go into summer recess, it is the usual uh, practice that the committee delegates authority to the chairperson and deputy chairperson to deal with any FOI requests received during the recess period. It will be for the chairperson and deputy chairperson to submit views on releasing or withholding information in any non-routine or contentious FOI requests. If there are any such requests, the committee will be advised at the first meeting back in September. Are we all agreed? Agreed. Great. Okay. Agreed. Agenda item number three, draft minutes. Uh, at page six, draft minutes of the meeting on the 23rd of June 2021. Are members content that the minutes are true and accurate reflection? Okay, we see Dolores's hands up there. Dolores? Uh, sure, uh, matters arising. Sorry, I'm trying to get a hold of this icon thing here to see. So it's just under the matters arising about the motion. Um, okay, first, can, I, can I finish just yeah. with the, the draft minutes and then yeah. we'll come back to you for matters arising? So are members content uh, with the draft minutes uh, outlined in page uh, six of the 23rd of June 2021? Great. All agreed? Okay. Okay, we'll now go to matters arising. Uh, at page 15, matters arising from the meeting on the 23rd of June 2021. I ask members if they have any issues arising from the meeting. Uh, so, I'll, first of all, I'll go to Dolores there. Uh, Chair, it's just in relation to the committee motion. In terms of uh, the response I sent to the um, committee clerk, I don't know whether you've been able yeah. to get sight of that. I, was, uh, um, I don't support uh, the committee motion. Um, I, and I think that subsequent... Um, Correspondence that we have received that you may come on to later on will will will, will um, um, highlight what my concerns were, or at least give authority to what my concerns were in relation to the onus in, in relation to the taxi industry. I don't dispute uh, that there may be things that the minister can do to, to help matters, but nonetheless, I don't, I don't think the industry itself, in terms of the operators, uh, give us the the fullest picture possible as um, has been. Um, um, uh, highlighted in the mo most recent correspondence we received from other uh, stakeholders. 
So I just want to be recorded as not having support, uh, not supporting the motion, and having concerns in relation to it. Okay, uh, and I, I realise that that I or the deputy chair weren't at uh, last week's committee meeting due to a funeral of, of our colleague Gordon Dunn. Um, but Dolores, I, I do note that the correspondence uh, that has come in in relation to the inability of the officials to meet uh, at short, such short notice on this, uh, though I, I was briefed by the, the committee clerk, etc., as to the nature of the presentation. I suppose probably, and I think we will come on to the, the wording of the motion. Uh, and while I was, I'm broadly supportive of the, the wording of the motion, uh, there's one specific aspect that, that I don't see contained within that. And I, I would ask members to, to give uh, certainly discussion or consideration to an additional line or amendment being added to take into account the, the taxi driver testing and how that is also impacting upon the entrance of new taxi drivers to the industry. It can be both difficult and expensive uh, and with a high rate of not passing. Uh, so I would ask members maybe to give some consideration to that, uh, potentially through means of a, a amendment to the original committee motion or uh, inclusion of that particular line within the motion, which I am advised by clerks is permissible under standing orders. So uh, has, any, has any other member any views on that motion or, or what I've suggested? Okay, see no other views being expressed. So would members be content? Oh, sorry, I've just not coming up on the screen. Who, who have we got? Mr. Boyden. Cahill, go ahead, Cahill. Yeah, thanks, Chair. No, I have no issue. I mean, the, the basic principle is to try and facilitate the, the industry in general to try and help them, to, you know, recover from this period. So I'm happy enough to go with that. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, we're going into the chamber to have a discussion to see how we can move move things forward and work with the minister to see can we help the industry. So I'm happy enough, you know. Okay, well. Thank you for that, Cahill. Is any other members any views in relation to that proposed either amendment or addition to the motion? Uh, Andrew? Um, uh, thank you very much, Chair. J just one issue in relation to the motion. Um, I think um, all of us are in agreement that there is um, an issue here in terms of the taxi industry and its ability to operate with the resources that it needs. Uh, one issue is that at the end of the motion, it, it states for the Minister to review her decision not the issue sector-specific support to operators. Um, we need to be clear that this is an, uh, a responsibility of the entire executive to be able to support the economy emerging out of COVID-19. So whether, you know, to put the responsibility clearly upon the Minister for Infrastructure, um, you know, we need to be clear that the responsibility lies upon a number of ministers to be able to take this forward, including also the economy minister. So just being pragmatic in relation to that. You know, it's a, it's a responsibility upon executive colleagues to be able to take that forward together. We've seen examples where there's been difficulties in terms of sorting this out, uh, but people, the executive needs to act collectively in bringing forward these, this support. Yeah, no, point, point noted, Andrew, and I'm sure that will be reflected in, in members' contributions and indeed that from, from the committee. Uh, bring in Roy. Yeah, I, I would agree with Andrew's points that was made there that. Uh, um, there are uh, there's complication in this area where uh, funding for some offices, not taxi operators, was coming from um, uh, the Department of the Economy. So there there is this degree of crossover. So I think there's a uh, a responsibility uh, across different departments. Okay. Any other member, David? I think the legislation falls under the infrastructure, isn't it, for the legislation regarding taxi drivers being trained to. The level, but we're, we're trying to fill that void, as it were, you know. 
I suppose probably what we're trying to do here, members, we, we realise that a lot of sector support uh, to, to a lot of operators, etc., across the board, fall to a lot of different uh, ministries, and, and they were working in very difficult times during COVID. This particular motion, uh, in relation to the support for the taxi industry, I, I want to try to keep as focused as possible for it to have actual meaning. Uh, so uh, I'm, I see another hand up there from members. Was it Cahill? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. I appreciate the comments of Ray and Andrew, but, but like yourself, I think those comments can be reflected in the debate in the chamber. You know what I mean? I don't think um, that you know they're entitled to say whatever. You know, if if they reflect that across, we we'd be happy enough for that. But I mean, you're right. Uh, in terms of some of the the motion itself, we're asking to look at some of those issues specific to to how the minister can help. But I'd I mind the members reflecting those views in the chamber. Okay, and. We'll, we'll go to Dolores now, the last hand up on this issue. Well, sure. If we're amending the motion in terms of uh, the concerns that you have raised, um, why then would we not amend the motion to reflect what both Andrew and Roy, which is uh, a more accurate account of where responsibilities lie, and if officials are going to be tasked with doing an amendment, presumably that would be sent out to us, um, and, and it could actually encompass all of those um concerns raised by members. If we are met in the motion, why not amend it to, to get more universal support? Well, I, I, certainly I, I'm open to members, Dolores. I suppose my issue was something that I didn't get a chance to raise last week because I wasn't here. Uh, but I, I'm open to members as to uh, a particular wording at the end there in relation to uh, particularly, I think Andrew and, and Roy has mentioned the review, her decision not to issue sector-specific sp support to operators. Uh, we could potentially add another line in there in relation to working with executive colleagues to, to bring specific sector support uh, to, to those different operators. Uh, would members be content that at this stage we task uh, committee officials to, to go away quickly? Obviously, this would have to be submitted before Friday. Uh, to, to look at an additional line that would both take into account uh, the taxi driver, taxi driver testing and its difficulties and ex expensive nature and the level of people not passing, and also include a line in relation to uh, cross-executive support for other support measures for operators. Are members content with that? I agree, Chair. Okay, so, so we have a couple of hands up here. I, I think... I think I have Martina on the screen. I would ask members please to raise hands because it's easier for me to monitor. So I'll go to Martina first and then Andrew. Well, I think what you said, Chair, about working with executive colleagues uh, to bring about, um, as the Vice Chair has said, the Minister has lead responsibility in this, and you always need a Minister to lead. And we also know, um, I know from my own constituency, and I'm sure other MLAs will attest in terms of their own constituencies, that, for instance, the CRBSS, there's not one operator that I know in Derry that was able to receive support from that particular grant. So um, that's where the need for a lead minister and the infrastructure minister to, to bring about a sector-specific uh, um, support. And of course, that encapsulates the needs that were discussed last week about the taxi drivers, their insurance, uh, their licence cost, all of the things that they have to pay, and of course the £3,000 that they were given during the pandemic um, was a pittance compared to their, their needs and what they required. But look, I, I think what you're saying about working with executive colleagues to bring about a sector-specific uh, response 
uh, would facilitate what everyone was saying, perhaps. Okay, thank you. I'll just go to Andrew, and then I see George with his hand up, and then we'll try to draw this to, to a conclusion. Um, thank you very much, Chair. Um, like yourself, I wasn't part of the discussion last week. I um, uh, watched um, Gordon's funeral online, and I wasn't able to take part in the, um, the proceedings and the discussion. M my desire here is very clear that we get a consensus in relation to this. Um, taxi drivers, operators, and the general public are looking to us to work together and to, to show um, collegiality and, and to bring forward solutions in relation to this. And it, it does a disservice to the general public and also to the industry if we are uh, divided on this issue. Uh, we need to be able to come together on that and find yeah, unanimity in relation to that. I think your wording in terms of working with executive colleagues is accurate because the responsibility and funding sits with different departments, for example, with regards to the economy. So if we can, the success of government in Northern Ireland is measured for our ability to be able to work together for the benefit of the public. So I think that is important. In relation to the legislation, I think we have to understand the, this legislation was passed when uh, the Assembly all came back in 2008. Uh, you and I were uh, much younger and I probably had less grey hair at that time. And, uh, the, the, there was a background to that legislation being put in place to address issues within the sector. So, um, whilst I'm happy to call for reviews in relation to what's in place in terms of the regulations and stuff like that, I need to be very hesitant in terms of calling for things to be reviewed without a re to be removed without a review. Because the reason that legislation is in place is to safeguard um, both the public and also the uh, operators and the entire industry. So, we need to be aware of the context why that is in place, and I think it's important to review it, but we need to be very careful in terms of how we proceed in that regard. Okay, I'll take George, and then we'll, we'll close this up. I would rewrite yeah. the motion, get agreement by correspondence, and resubmit it. Yeah, give a deadline for the amends. So there's one line to be added with okay. regard to the... Sorry, sorry just, just hold on, George. What I'll do is I'm going to go to the clerk here, uh, just for clarity as to what we can do as a committee. My understanding is there is two potential options on the table, whether that's an amendment to the original motion or a reword of the motion. Yeah. Uh, and I want to take into account that members want this heard before the recess. So that, that's the issue. That's the issue. So I think I'm going to hand it to, to the clerk here who will explain the technicalities around it. I suppose my intention would be, and what I'm gathering from members, is that if we could have some form of an amendment uh, to it, which would include uh, looking at this specific in relation to taxi driver testing, and also uh, a commitment to work with other uh, executive colleagues in relation to bringing about those targets, uh, those specific targeted uh, responses to operators. That's where the where the members' consensus is. So I just want to know the technicalities of how we can achieve that within the time frame. So. We need to marshal the two proposed amendments, the one with regard to working across the executive and the one with regard to the testing process. Get them agreed by the committee today. And then it can be circulated by correspondence and agreed by correspondence, but you would need to give a deadline of today, later okay. today, and get that accepted by the business office. If it's substantially different, they could decide to not. Okay. It's too different from what the, is on the order paper. So, so I gather from the amendments that we're proposing, they're not too different from the original motion. Uh, I think they add value to that. So, are members content that what we do is we task officials at the committee to to draw up what those amendments would look like? 
circulated to members uh, immediately today for members to come back to agree to allow it to get to the business committee before Friday. Are members content with that way forward? Right, can we go to George first please and then we'll come in to Roy? <coughs> Sir, just to say that um, I, I'm agreeable to uh, your suggestions and the clerks as well, from the amend amendment point of view. I'm happy enough. Okay, thank, thank you, George. Sorry, Roy? Uh, I, I'm conscious there needs to be a degree of speed on this, and um, can we not... Um, we're, we're actually passing a ball to the officials, and then it could ping back and forth between different members. Can someone not come up with specific wording now and ease the situation, get it finalised? Um, if it's agreeable, that can be incorporated into the motion, fine. If not, it's then incorporated into an amendment in the committee's name and the same motion goes forward. I, th I think that's a much better way of dealing with it if someone uh, would care to come up with uh, specific wording to meet their needs. Okay, Roy. Take on board what you said. Just want to make sure procedurally that we are right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand over to the clerk now. He's going to ex explain how we can do that in the immediate sense to ensure that we we can progress at, at the speed required. Clerk. So the amendment is really the only option, as your motion has already been agreed by the committee. So we need to marshal the amendment to the motion as it stands currently. Can we marshal the proposals being made by members for the amendment? Agreed. Is member, are members agreed? Yes. Agreement. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. Happy to proceed with that then? Yeah. Okay. You want to hear the specific wording, Roy? That's that's normal process. Yeah. Otherwise, we're actually tasking our officials to go back and forth, potentially individually, with a number of members till everybody agrees to something. It's much easier if it's done collectively in, in this hearing. OK, so, so, so what, we, what we could do, members, is that I know that the actual committee motion is further down for discussion. Yeah. But what we will do here is we will allow the clerk redraft to, to redraft it and we will come back to it at a later point in the meeting. Are members content with that as a way forward? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. OK. Agreed. Thank, Agreed. Thank, thank you, members. Uh, is there any other issues arising from uh, out of matters arising? I noticed at page 18. Oh, sorry, I think I had Mar Martina's hand up there. Sorry, Martina. No, it's, it's been dealt with. OK. Uh, at page 18, outstanding committee requests for information. Members have no issues. No. Uh, at page 32, the clerk's memo on the suggested committee protocol for dealing with outstanding correspondence. Are members content? Okay, great. Um, Mr. Chairman? Yes, sorry, right. Well, one issue which I would like, uh, uh, just a very small amendment. Stage two, we're authorising officials to automatically send a reminder letter after two weeks. I am very content with that. Uh, but I think, on top of that, um, almost to embarrass, to, to, to inform members and also to embarrass those who have not responded to an assembly committee within two, two weeks, that we should be formally notified and then it would be recorded in our minutes uh, ever who has, uh, has not um, replied within the two-week period. It's just an, an added bit of pressure to get people to respond uh, in a reasonable time frame. So I think we should just add, add the bit and that members um, would be uh, advised. Okay, um, thank you, Roy. I, I think that's a sensible proposal. Our members agreed with that? Great. Great. Okay. Sorry, we have a hand. do we have another hand up? No. Okay. Thank you, members. Okay. 
At page 106 in correspondence, as Dolores has outlined, we maybe have already covered this, Scarne was the departmental response to the committee request for officials to brief committee on the taxi industry. Can I advise members that officials are unable to prepare a briefing paper and attend at such short notice? Um, tabled at page three is, uh, is the committee motion, which we will come back to. Um, I have a motion here. I can. Okay, it. so sorry, the quick quick work now by the clerk. We do have a, a reword of the motion, so I will hand it over to the clerk now to read that to uh, the committee. That this assembly notes with concern the falling number of taxi drivers in the industry, and the impact this will have on post-COVID-19 economic recovery recognises the impact that the delay in reviewing fare structures has had in exacerbating this decline and calls on the Minister for Infrastructure to implement measures to address the fall in driver numbers, to expedite the review of fare structures, to work with her executive colleagues to identify a suite of measures that can be initiated to make the sector more attractive to new entrants and to review her decision not to issue sector-specific support to operators. No. Okay. I, I, I note that one of the amendments in which, which I had suggested that I thought members were content with, what we'd have a specific line in about uh, to address the, the tax or driver, taxi driver testing. Uh, Our members agreed to add that in as well. Our members agreed to add that specific and line in as well. Agreed, Chair. Okay. Members are agreed to add that line. And sorry, Dolores, I see your hand up. Do you, do you have anything to add? Uh, Chair, yes. I, I mean, um, I, I think um, the, the the line about recognising the, the the impact on fair structures, that line, I mean, I, I don't necessarily accept uh, that the, um, the, the failure, as it's put, to recognise of the impact of fair structures has had uh, that big an impact on the taxi industry. I don't think the operators uh, give us the answers that we needed and uh, in relation to uh, why people weren't coming in. The, I think the, the email that we have got in correspondence from Mr Beckett from Belfast Public Car Coalition uh, sets out very clearly some concerns that many people might have but won't give voice to uh, in relation to why taxi drivers... Uh, or some operators are finding it difficult, so I don't accept that line. And uh, okay, uh, uh, what, what I'm going to do, as members, I don't want to go into another round of debate on the issue. We will have plenty of time to do that. But if members want to, we have three. Or we have sorry, one hand up, and that, that's Andrew Muir. So what I will do is, Andrew, I'll, I'll let you have a comment on that. But my intention is after that, we will have the committee clerk read the motion one more time, and if we have to have a vote on it, we will, uh, but I think that's the way to proceed in order to, to, to move the business on. So I'll go to Andrew first. Yeah, um, thank you, Chair, and I'm conscious at half ten and we're still debating this, so I do understand where you're coming from in relation to that. Um, it just to me, at the end of it, I, I would, it says here to work with our executive colleagues to identify a suite of measures that can be initiated to make the sector more attractive to new entrants. And I would, to me, it would be uh, we need to be clear that it's the executive colleagues in terms of the sector specific support to operators. So how you would link that through would be including a review in, in sector. Sorry, easy for me to say, uh, a review on sector specific support to operators, and just put it in that in terms of the uh, executive colleagues. Okay. 
Okay, Member Shry, I see Roy. I'll take you, Roy, before I go back to the clerk here. Who's <laughs> I would agree with that amendment. Okay, right, so what I'm going to do now, I'm going to allow the clerk to, to read the amended motion, uh, and then if members want to go to a vote on that, we, we can do so, but let's, let's have it on record what the motion will be. I read. need the amendment from Andrew. Whereabouts is it going in? Andrew, where specifically would you like to see that amendment uh, and, and, uh, and to review her decision not to issue sector supports, yeah. specific support to operators? So, so, so. So the, the motion would be as worded, okay, so I'm doing this on the hoof, um, to, to, to work with our executive colleagues to identify a suite of measures that can be initiated uh, to make the sector more attractive to new entrants, including our, including our review on sector-specific support to operators. Okay. Clerk will read the motion as amended. That this assembly notes with concern the falling number of taxi drivers in the industry and the impact this will have on post-COVID-19 economic recovery, recognises the impact of the delay in reviewing fare structures and the complexity of taxi driver testing has had in exacerbating this decline and calls on the Minister for Infrastructure to implement measures to address the fall in driver numbers, to expedite the review of fare structures, to work with her executive colleagues to identify a suite of measures that can be initiated to make the sector more attractive to new entrants, and to work with her executive colleagues to review the support the sector-specific support available to operators. Okay. Members have heard the motion. Are members content with that? Uh, Dolores, you maybe may not be. Do you want that noted? Um, are members content uh, as the motion uh, content with the motion as read by the clerk? Sure. Can I just I, mean, I just find it hard to follow. Um, so I'll reserve my position at this stage. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So members are content then that with the motion as read. Great. Just, just on one note, I'll accept it just for the committee as it will agree as a committee, but the point is, like I said, people have an opportunity to have their say within the debate, whether or not some of the stuff lies outside of the, the minister, but, but I'm happy enough to support the notion that the minister will work with all our executive colleagues to try and address these matters, but I just want to put that on record, because primarily most of it will lie within Infrastructure. Okay, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Cal, and I think you're right. Most of this will come up in the content of the debate, but it's important that we, we get this motion agreed and allow it to have its time on the floor. So thank you, members, and we're agreed, and we'll now move to agenda item number five. Correspondence. Can I draw members' attention to correspondence at memo, uh, correspondence memo at page 36 and, ta and tabled at page 5, at page 38, ministerial response regarding appointments to board to the Board of Belfast Harbour Commissioners, and, and I can, can I propose that we write to the new Chair of the Harbour Commission congratulating her on her appointment. Are members content? 
Table at page 7 is a response to issues arising from the Committee for Infrastructure meeting on the 9th of June 2021. Uh, are members content with the actions as suggested in the correspondence memo? Okay, great. Uh, agenda item number 6 is subordinate legislation. SL1 is not subject to assembly procedure. Can I advise members that there are nine proposals for statutory rules not subject to assembly proceedings at page 109? At page 109, SL1, the parking places and waiting restrictions, Ballymoney Amendment Order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 111, SL1, the Road Races Lock All Stages Rally Order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 113, SL1, the Road Races, Cookstown 100 Motorcycle Road Race, um, Order Northern Ireland 2021. At page 115, SL1, The Road Races, Craigantlet Hill Climb, Order Northern Ireland 2021. At page uh, 117, SL1, The Road Races, Bushwhacker Rally, Order Northern Ireland 2021. At page 119, SL1, The Prohibition of Waiting Schools, um, Amendment Order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 121, SL1, the Urban Clearways Amendment Order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 123, SL1, the Prohibition of Right Hand Turn, Dungiven Order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 125, SL1, the Parking and Waiting Restrictions, Belfast Amendment Number 2 Order, Northern Ireland 2021. Are members content to note the proposals for the statutory rules? Content. Content. Yeah. Okay. Agenda item number seven, subordinate legislation. SR is not subject to assembly procedure. Can I advise members that there are six statutory rules not subject to assembly proceedings at page 128? At page 128, SR 2021-175, the road races, Garen Point Hill Climb, Order Northern Ireland 2021. At page 133, SR 2021-176, the waiting restrictions, Newton Hamilton Order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 137, SR 2021-177, the parking places on roads and waiting restrictions, Cookstown Amendment Order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 140, SR 2021-178, the parking places, disabled persons, vehicles, Amendment number 6 order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 144, SR 2021-179, the parking and waiting restrictions, Ballina Hinch, Amendment order, Northern Ireland 2021. At page 147, SR 2021-180, the one-way um, one traffic Belfast Amendment number 2 order, Northern Ireland 2021. Can I again advise members to note the statutory rules on this? They have any issues to raise on the proposals or members agreed to note? Agreed. Okay. So members are content to note the statutory rules. Um, agenda item number eight. Uh, we now have a briefing from Northern Ireland Water, PC21. Uh, the meeting will be recorded by Hansard. Uh, and at page uh, 151, the Northern Ireland Water briefing paper on uh, PC21. Tabled at page 65 is correspondence from the Minister regarding 
Northern Ireland Water PC21 funding. And at this stage, can I welcome via Starlight Mrs. Sarah Benning, Chief Executive, and Mr. Ronan Larkin, Director of Finance and Regulation, and Anthony Lynn, Communications and Public Relations Manager. You're all very welcome to this morning's committee, and I will hand it over to, I think, Sarah to, for opening remarks and for the presentation. Thank you. Good morning, Chair, Mr. Chair, and thank you very much for having us. Can I check? You can hear me okay? Yes, we can indeed. Thank you. Super, super. So, um, Anthony Lynn, who's our communications director, is going to uh, shortly share our slides. Um, we haven't met before, so in introducing myself, I'm Sarah. I'm the Chief Executive for Northern Ireland Water, and I'm joined on the call this morning by Ronan Larkin, who is our Director of Finance and Regulation. We are very grateful for this opportunity to meet with the committee to share with you the contents of the final determination and the implications for Northern Ireland as it looks to build a stronger society post-COVID. Anthony, um, are you sharing the slides at the minute? Could you put the slides up? So just keep it on this one. So as you can see from this cover slide, the committee itself has taken a very strong interest in, in water and wastewater provision. And, and actually this picture was taken back in March 20, which was just before the first lockdown. And it, it certainly does seem strange to be standing so close to people um, now, but uh, it was great to see you all then. So Anthony, if you could move on to the next slide. Mr Chair, we will be talking about what is the end of one process, the business planning process and the beginning of another, the delivery phase. And PC21 stands for Price Control 21 and that's the mechanism by which regulated utilities such as water, gas, electricity reach an agreement with the utility regulator on the necessary inputs to their tariffs. So for example, there needs to be an allowance for running costs, for capital investment, for finance, and for what levels of service they will deliver for customers in respect of that investment. So what we'd like to do this morning is remind everyone of the PC21 process and the timeline involved, and then share some of the highlights of the final determination what that means for public expenditure and for Northern Ireland more widely. So over the last 18 to 24 months, we've been really moving ahead with our nature agenda. And I want to finish up this morning by sharing with the committee some of the great work that we have planned and that we have underway in relation to decarbonisation. So Anthony, if you could move on to the next slide. It's maybe worth for all of us taking a minute or two to reacquaint ourselves with the actual price control process. And in essence, it really began about this time three years ago when the utility regulator released their guidance to the price control. And it was agreed that NI Water should set out the investment needs for the whole of Northern Ireland as part of the process, which was very positive and a deviation to previous price controls when that investment had been constrained by the level of government willingness to fund. So 
Northern Ireland Water then, we launched our, uh, our strategy back in September 2019 and we invited people to join us at our Belfast Waste Water Treatment Works for that. And that strategy looks the whole way out, a 25-year outlook from now out to 2046. And it identifies the key pillars under customer, water, nature, economy and people. What we did then is we built a business plan to deliver against the first six years of that strategy and we submitted that to the utility regulator back in January 20. And then of course COVID hit us all and whilst MI Water was able to really transition seamlessly to remote working for those who needed it um, and to provide enhanced protection for our employees who continue to be on our sites or in our labs, it's, it's fair to say the COVID impact was felt by many. And so the grey boxes on the slide show the, the utility regulator's original plant delivery dates, which then were revised as they dealt with COVID impacts within their own teams. So the utility regulators gave, the, gave us and I were, their draft response to our business plan in September 20. And then we worked with that UR team between them and the final determination, which we got in May of this year, to help clarify some of the assumptions that have been made. And the FD, the final determination, has now been published. And really, it remains for NI Water to indicate whether or not it believes it can, it can deliver what's being asked for the alliances that have been given. So we as a company must respond to the utility regulator by the middle of July. And what we want to do today for the committee is to give you an overview of what it is we'll be able to deliver for Northern Ireland between now and 2027. Next slide, please. So the, the final determination itself was published on the 13th of May, and it really is a substantial document. It's, a, it's about 100 pages in the main report. And then we have a, a lever arch file, it's never too far away from me, which is full of appendices. And the company then has to consider two areas. Are the demands within that FD on efficiency and on service improvement for customers deliverable with the level of investment granted? And then a second consideration, which is really peculiar to us here in Northern Ireland, which is, will the executive support the plan and commit the necessary funding to it? And I would like to reinforce with you as a committee that that commitment cannot be on an ad hoc basis or with a high degree of uncertainty year to year. What we need is a firm signal of intent that the final determination will be funded over its duration because that allows for the efficient and cost-effective delivery of the work contained within. Now, I have to say that we are very encouraged by the approach taken for year one of the price control, and our minister, with the support of her executive colleagues, has ensured that the final determination is fully funded in this first year, and we're taking that as a very strong signal of intent in relation to the price control as a whole. And I would like to put on record and to thank the committee members for their support in getting us to this starting position. So thank you all very much. Could we move on to the next slide? So Ronan will take you through some of the details around the financials associated with PC21 and indeed on the benefits that the investment will bring across Northern Ireland. But at a very high level, I draw out two key points. 
The first really being in relation to efficiency, you as a committee and, and, and all our elected representatives and the executive can take comfort from the fact that any public money invested in Northern Ireland water is done so efficiently. So the final determination process has benchmarked us independently and we are up there with the best in class companies across the UK. It's really encouraging. And then secondly, the second probably key message here is it's just the sheer quantum of investment that is required both to run the business, to run our water company and to deliver the capital investment programme. So the utility regulator has set out a need for a £1.3 billion funding package for operating costs and a £2.1 billion package to invest in capital assets, which will support economic growth right across Northern Ireland. So Ronan has some of the, of the more of the detail, and I'm going to pass you over to him to take over for the next couple of slides. Seem to have lost. Ron? Is there now? Can you hear me? Are you okay? Yes, can yeah. you hear you now, Ron? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just, um, Anthony, if you can just push the next slide through then, yeah, that'd be great. So, um, on, on the, hopefully, you can see that diagram, that schematic in front of you. And what we're looking at here is um, uh, for PC21, so where will, the, where will the funding and the money come from, and how do we use the money? So, on the left hand side, you'll see the sources of, of funding, and overall, in in, in, real, in real price terms, the, the, the business plan is a £4.1 billion uh, business plan, including a total operating costs over six years and the capital investment. So I started at sort of just, just past uh, 12 o'clock. The, the large section on the left, that, that is the, 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 um, you know, just over half of the, of the donut on the, on the sources of funding, you'll see there um, that £2.7 billion of the funding will come from revenue that we build to non-domestic customers and it will come from the subsidy that is in place here in Northern Ireland uh, in, in, in lieu of a domestic uh, charge being charged to, to householders. So that's, that's probably the largest piece of the, the revenue overall at £2.7 over the six years. There's some further grants and contributions including developers' contributions and so on and they, they, they come to a total of about £82 million. Pounds. And then the, the, the grey piece then just up between you know eight o'clock and, and, and nine o'clock or eight o'clock or mid, midnight um, you'll see there borrowing of 1.18 billion and that's money that Northern Ireland Water will borrow from um, government in the form of a loan note that it draws down money to pay the capital contractors and to pay for the investment in the assets and you'll see we'll be borrowing uh, just uh, over 1.18 billion over the six years to build out this capital program. And then ongoing, there's, there's £108 million of working capital used in the business to keep the business running through every day and to pay bills and, and, and overheads and so on across the piece. So that's where the sources of funding uh, come from for, for an all-land water for the six years. If you then look on the right-hand side, the, the other little diagram beside that then says, so, so how do we use that money? How does that £4.1 billion get spent? So the, 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 starting then just up at um, 12 o'clock, the piece in blue, operating costs, We'll have operating costs to pay for, and that includes things like our, our electricity, or running our fleet, paying our payroll, etc., etc., of about uh, just under £1.15 billion. Um, we have three PPP contracts, as you know, in Northern Ireland. So we have Alpha, Omega, and a scheme, a small scheme at Kindergar. 
and we have to pay those contracts uh, the, co the cost of doing the work that they do for Northern Ireland Water. So those, those costs come to about £343 million across the six years. And then the next two pieces, the grey piece and the yellow piece with it, just above it, the grey piece is the, the, the capital expenditure, the core main capital expenditure of uh, just under £1.6 billion. Um, and that's, that's to build out the, the schemes, whether it's water mains or water treatment works or um, uh, capital schemes for, for the, the wastewater network particularly, um, as well as to maintain those assets. Those assets all need to be maintained on an ongoing basis and, and, and a lot of that expenditure is used to maintain and can make sure those assets can continue to operate and do what they have to do by uh, you know, putting in new, new equipment and parts and so on and so forth and making sure they're serviceable. The piece in yellow then, the LWWP, that's our Living With Water programme that, that you've heard us talk about before at committee. And so the work really gets underway uh, in earnest now in PC 2021. We spoke to the committee before with that programme and we've actually, we've actually already began some of that work uh, you know, in Greater Belfast and certainly down at the, the, down at the Dun Crew Works. We're, we're, we're into the very early phases of that work. So the site you visited this with, with Sarah shared the photograph before. So in PC 21, we will invest uh, just under £530 million in the very much needed Living With Water programme. Um, we pay about £5 million of corporation tax across to, to government. And then the green piece then, to take us right around the, the, the donut, is the interest and dividend. And you can see that figure is £508 million. And we will pay that money back into to DFI and ultimately to DOF in the form of interest on all of the loans that we've borrowed since Northern Ireland Water was, was created back in 2007, as well as any money we, we draw down during PC21, and then a dividend that is allowed as a return back into government coffers for their investment uh, in and their ownership, their shareholding in Northern Ireland Water. So that diagram sources and the uses of the funding during PC21. If you put up the next uh, slide there, Anthony, please. Um, so in terms of then, you know, in terms of money and pound notes, we also then look, look at um, PE consequences. This is public expenditure consequences. And this, this graphic shows the two lines there. So the, the, the blue line at the top, the capital dale, and then the green line along the bottom, the resource dale. So if, if I start and look at the resource dale, I, I guess the positive thing here is that you'll see that resource dale line is broadly steady state through PC21. And despite the fact that we'll be running a much bigger program and a much bigger capital program and running really a, a company that's really sort of built, has built its asset base and is operating to a much bigger population and so on than it did when it started, um, although there's a huge amount of activity in PC21, we're broadly keeping that resource dial line, which is really the operating cost line, we're keeping that steady state pretty much. You can see that, that, that that's holding fairly steady. That's quite a good news story because... We're, we're investing more, we're, we're operating more assets and bigger assets and bigger volumes and so on, but we're continuing, as Sarah was saying, to run an efficiency program which allows us to continue to find ways to make our running costs day to day more efficient. And if the, I then move on to the blue line, and, and it's really, you know, it's probably interesting to take a look at this blue line, but you'll see this blue line, get, you know, pitches considerably, so it starts to rise um, up through the early years of PC21 from around that 180 million mark there at 21-22, but all the way up to 449 million by the time it gets to that year five. And that's the ramping up and the, and the, and the, the, the necessary uh, investment in the capital program that really starts to, to grow and push through the, the, those middle years of PC21. 
It, it comes down to just over 400 million in the last year, in the final year. And we estimate that you know, it'll probably sort of need to stay about that level there thereabouts uh, during PC27, which will be the next price control period, if Northern Ireland is to continue to operate and to, you know, to, save, to, save, to, to, to receive clean, safe drinking water at the right level for everyone in the population, as well as to treat all the waste to the new standards that we have to run through. And I guess that capital programme, that, that shows where the commitment will now need to be in terms of the public expenditure capital Dale allocation that Northern Ireland Water will now need to make sure we can build out that programme that will allow us to unlock particularly things like the, the constraints in, in wastewater network and wastewater treatment, which we, I think we all of us know um, is, is really having a constraining effect on parts of our economy and on towns and, and cities right across Northern Ireland today. Anthony, if you put that next slide up. Um, this slide really just starts to break down. So, you know, where will that money get used and how, how, does, it, how does it break up into the, into the core parts of the programme? And I, I guess the big pieces that, that I, would, I would be picking out of this one is the, the very large coloured sort of salmon slice of, of that diagram, which you can see sort of, you know, starts to really grow at that early stage and then sort of builds up as, as a big part of the programme from those middle years. That's our wastewater investment, including our living with water um, piece. That's where we need to really get into investing in the whole drainage network, the whole drainage capability and um, the treatment uh, capacity at all of our works, whether it's from Newry in the South Bay all the way through to, to, to Belfast and all the way up to uh, Derry up in the North West. If, if we're looking at uh, growing our economy and we're looking at connecting uh, new homes and, and new business opportunities and, and, and continuing to build good quality housing stock here, social housing that, that, that will allow a population to continue to enjoy that kind of uh, 21st century need. Um, we need to invest those kinds of money in, in, in particular our wastewater network and our wastewater treatment. And you can see the size and shape you know, of the profile of that wastewater program through the PC21 period. The, the other pieces in there are inevitable that you know, we will continue as always to invest in water quality and water availability and water security. And that's that kind of purple coloured piece and then the other pieces there, we have a team who run our capital programme internally, so, so uh, we pay for that team and we capitalise their, their, their cost as part of the programme. And then our, our m and is our management and general. So those are all the other things alongside the piece. So those are things like our IT, our cyber security, um, our buildings that, that, that our staff um, uh, operate out of and so on, um, our, our systems needs, etc. Et all of those things that run, I guess, what you call some of those back office capabilities and some of those things we need to continue to run day to day, including things like our fleet for our, our field uh, our field force uh, frontline staff to be able to get out and serve the needs of customers. Next slide there, Anthony, please. Yeah, that's great. So again, just, just here, this particular slide starts to look again at, at the wastewater. And I guess without going into all of the detail here, it, it really starts to give a sense of what we're doing. Um, just below the, the, the graph of the little bar graph, it starts to show you there we'll be investing in, in um, you know, 16 wastewater treatment works, 12 sewage network schemes, um, and some wastewater base maintenance schemes. There's a whole piece around the operating uh, asset that we have there that we, we, we'll include in there. New first-time services that, that for sewage that people will ask us to connect and so forth. And on the right-hand side, um, I guess you can see there, again, I won't, I won't go through these in detail, but these are all the different project names. So as, you, as we look down this list, any of us might see a, a name of a town or a city in Northern Ireland. I'm looking there just, just, just um, before halfway mark, I can see Newry Wastewater Treatment Works, which we know needs considerable investment. 
If you look on down, you can see Carrick, Fergus, Dromore, Dungannon, etc., etc., Dan Patrick, and all the way up the top there, you will see um, you'll see Belfast on there as well. So really, that just gives a sense of how right across Northern Ireland, um, you know, this, 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 you know, this wastewater investment is needed. Two from the bottom, you'll see something there called RWWIP, and that's our Rural Wastewater Investment Programme, and that really is something that, that makes sure the standards that that are, that are being uh, applied for wastewater treatment in, in our rural areas right across Northern Ireland. We're continuing to invest in those as we have done in the past, but we need that investment to continue at that kind of pace. That next slide, Anthony, then, if you can put that up, please. And that, the, the next slide then just shows the same kind of illustration on the water side. So the previous graph showed wastewater. This then shows um, the water side, and again, you can just you can you, you you know you can look at the information in there. It really splits down where we will take those sums of money across the years and where we'll invest them in. So water mains rehabilitation. So this is around, this is the pipes through which the the water flows to get to get to towns and cities and people's homes and businesses and hospitals and so on. Um, a huge continued investment in that. Um, leakage is an area that that any of the water companies, and we're no exception, and um, we need to continue to invest. We have a vast um, water. Uh, distribution network and we need to make sure that we continue to find and capture and fix leaks so that our, 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 our leakage um, continues to hold or reduce and, and so there's a, there's a significant continued investment um, right through PC uh, 21 around that. Um, but we'll be looking at again right across the PC, you can see everything on there including um, some, of the, some of the big um, uh, water treatment schemes as well. So uh, you can see there towards the bottom of that uh, list on the right-hand side, Derg uh, water treatment works, Ballinarese water treatment works, etc. So really, again, there's, there's quite a spread there of both network and then treatment works right across uh, Northern Ireland through the PC21 period. And I suppose then, sir, at this point, I think I'm going to hand back across to yourself. Before I do that, one of the things that probably I would say to the to the committee is um, when the regulator published its uh, final determination back in May, it had examined were we an efficient water company. It was well enough. There's no land water. Has it become an efficient water company through the years? And again, that's a question that the committee, you, you know, you as a committee have asked us um, over the years in the past. And when Northern Ireland Water was, was uh, uh, put into place back in 2007 and it began. Uh, it, its life as a company and as a regulated entity owned by government here in Northern Ireland, there was a gap, a, a, an efficiency gap from an operating cost perspective of 50% between the, the best performing water waste water companies in England and Wales. So there's a 5-0% gap, a 50% gap. And the regulator's final determination has now ruled on that again and it's examined that gap. And the, the positive news is that that, that gap now is down towards 5.5%. So that gap has been closed pretty much. So from 50% it's down to 5.5%. And as Sarah was saying earlier, we continue to plan to improve our efficiency all the way through PC21. Um, but the gap now is a gap that is manageable and it sits well within the pack of companies that, that, that you know right across the UK and Scotland. So Northern Ireland Water is now an efficient company and we're ready to continue to make that further efficient and continue to invest in, in the assets going forward. Sarah, I'll, I'll hand across to yourself here. Hi. 
Um, hope everybody can hear me. So really, Luke, in essence, uh, PC21 is, is a significant package of work, um, but should it be funded by the executive and they take that choice, it delivers so much for Northern Ireland, and, and this really sets out those things. So first and foremost, it begins to address the development constraints that have been allowed to occur here in Northern Ireland. So that's the impact on helping to support uh, social housing, helping to support housing development across Northern Ireland, helping to support business grow right across Northern Ireland. So this, this business plan begins to address those development constraints. Of course, we will need to continue to invest in our assets over the next two price controls in order to eradicate the development constraints. It very much supports the ambitions that have been outlined in the draft programme for government. And, and it does represent a significant infrastructure investment, which, uh, as we all know globally, uh, is recognised as something which kickstarts an economy. And for sure, here in Northern Ireland, it's a driver of jobs. So even during lockdown, we have recruited 30 new apprentices. We're bringing in 10 apprentices a year, and we're actively recruiting um, skilled technical engineers, scientists, data scientists to join our organisation at the minute. Um, and that large capital program that we're embarking upon really does help to keep jobs here in Northern Ireland. And, and also it supports, as we'll come on to talk about, uh, the green growth strategy that the executive have been, have been talking about. And I guess I would just pose for the committee the question, could we go further? Could Northern Ireland water and our plan help to facilitate um, Northern Ireland's net carbon zero ambitions. So if I take you on to the next slide, I'll, I'll maybe answer that question. And the answer, could we go further? Could we help facilitate Northern Ireland's net carbon zero ambitions? I believe the answer to that question is absolutely. There, there's, there's quite a lot in this slide. Some of the, co uh, the concepts here are very simple and some of them are pretty complex. So if I just maybe remind everyone why it is that Northern Ireland Water should be in the middle of all this, um, I think to be fair, my interest certainly started with the desire to save money. So if we're Northern Ireland's largest electricity consumer, so if we were able to use less electricity, we would cut our electricity bill. But when we started to do that work, that soon morphed into the need to uh, embrace, you know, reduce our operational carbon, which really led us on a journey to see how the assets that belong to Northern Ireland Water could help to reduce carbon across Northern Ireland. So there's six concepts here. First, planting a million trees. And we've already made a start on that. So we're working with the Woodland Trust and land in the moors and, and beside a number of our, our treatment works because we are Northern Ireland's second largest landowner. And then the second area is facilitating renewables, generation of renewable electricity on our land. And that's a, a fairly simple mix of either building our own, and we do have a six megawatt solar farm on the shores of Loch Ness, and opening up our land to third party developers. So the potential does exist for us to host the largest wind farm in Northern Ireland, which could be as big as 200 megawatts of wind, which would be the equivalent to a third of conventional power station. And then the next two bars are where things get really, really interesting. So everyone here has heard and knows that Northern Ireland wants to double the amount of uh, generation that it gets from renewable sources. And we also know that 
wind is most likely to be the prevalent sources. And there are two factors we to think about when you think about wind. So the first one is the wind can just drop off and our power needs don't. And the kind of converse of that is the wind blows both day and night. But here in Northern Ireland, we don't use much power at night. So wind energy is currently being wasted at night. And that is a sustainable model for the wind farm developers. So if you're building a wind farm, you need to get income from your assets 24 hours a day. So where does NI water come into play? Well, on a couple of fronts. The first is, because we're all over Northern Ireland and because our assets are energy hungry, we have over 3,000 grid connections. And some of them are very high capacity grid connections to the electricity grid. And that's a very valuable commodity. Those grid connections then could be used in reverse to support the electricity network. So if we had energy storage on our sites, we could feed out. Uh, no, to keep that um, previous slide, please. So that uh, energy storage, if we if we did want to feed it out into the to the network, what would that be? Well, it could be batteries, or it could be hydrogen. And um, when we come to the next slide, we'll talk a little bit more about that hydrogen thing. But hydrogen is a gas that can be produced by electrolyzing water, or the final effluent from our wastewater process, and the byproduct of that is oxygen. So we can take that oxygen as a wastewater operator and we can put it into the wastewater process. It's actually used at the minute and what it does is it encourages the good bugs to eat the bad bugs and to clean the waste from the water. So we think that oxygen might actually increase the capacity at our works. In essence, it would allow more waste to be treated in an existing footprint. And we're testing that theory in Kinniger at the minute. Now, electrolyzers are energy-hungry pieces of equipment, but if we ran them at night using the surplus energy from the wind farms, then we might have created a virtuous circle where you would have green energy powering an electrical load that produces hydrogen, which in turn can be used for energy storage, which is, would be released when the green energy is unavailable. And if we get the added benefit that the oxygen is invented into the atmosphere as would happen in other parts of the UK or Europe, it's fed into the wastewater process and increases its capacity. Now, our wastewater treatment works are situated to all our major urban settings, all our towns, and they could become a network of green fueling stations, either with hydrogen for larger vehicles or potentially as fast charge points for electric vehicles if we're making use of our grid connections. And still, we're not done. There's still more to that point on, on this slide. Um, the hydrogen could be used for energy storage. It could be used for fueling HGVs, or it could be used to decarbonize the town gas networks. Because natural gas, while it sounds very clean green, it's not actually a green fuel. It's mainly methane. But research that's being undertaken at the minute is showing that the gas can be green by introducing hydrogen into the network. And then the final opportunity that we've identified is um, district heating schemes. And we're all very much aware now of heat pumps. Well, the wastewater that we process contains heat, which could be harnessed via heat pumps to heat homes, to heat businesses, or to heat greenhouses for food production, which would be a very low carbon solution. So look, there's a world of opportunity, and we could talk about these projects probably on their own for, for a presentation, but that gives you a bit of a flavour. And if, if Anthony, if you move on to the next slide now. 
our our strategy, our slap strap line in, in Northern Ireland water is delivering what matters. And I'm delighted to be able to share with you that um, our hydrogen musings are more than just a theory. We are the first water company in the UK to cite an electrolyzer at a wastewater treatment works. So we've used funding from the Small Business Research Initiative and we've installed a small pilot plant. Um, but we know we need to be able to prove the technology on a much larger scale. So as many cities are seeking to unlock and to support an infant hydrogen economy, so too the Department for Economy has um, been thinking about that and they have provided funding for Northern Ireland Water to install a demonstrator-sized electrolyzer in Belfast. And that will produce both hydrogen and oxygen to allow us to better evaluate the benefits of these technologies. And the electrolyzer is currently being built and it should be with us in Belfast by the end of the year. And that's a bold step. It's taking the lead on what isn't just decarbonisation, but it could be truly green growth in that there are carbon benefits and also economic growth potential. Because we know Northern Ireland has a fantastic manufacturing base and really you would have to ask yourself, is there an opportunity for that engineering knowledge developed over decades with the airline industries to be put in use into electrolyzer manufacture? So I'll bring you on to the conclusion slide and then open for questions. I, I do think that the work that we are doing on climate change is really thought leading and it's very, very exciting. However, it's absolutely reliant on us being able to deliver our basic services. And the PC21 final determination is the mechanism for delivering those services. Now, when we put in our plan to the utility regulator, we put in a really stretching and ambitious plan. There was a lot to do in it. The final determination has pushed that even further. So the OPEX, the operating costs and the capital investment efficiencies that are being called for are really challenging. And in order that we as a company can get after them and can deliver them, we absolutely need to know that we have certainty of funding. Our work programs run over multiple years. These are large engineering interventions. And in order that we get the best prices as we let work, we must be able to plan and to forecast our work out over the medium term. And that will require government backing, and I, I guess I do have an ask of the committee today. I would like to ask you and your respective parties to lend your support um, to that ask because for funding. Because the, the PC21 final determination investment plan represents a really great opportunity for Northern Ireland. It is internationally recognised that if you invest in infrastructure, you're kick-starting the economy. And in particular, the work that we've outlined, it's absolutely necessary to support the post-COVID growth strategies that are being articulated for Northern Ireland, but they absolutely rely on executive commitment to fund that programme of work. So that concludes our presentation this morning, Mr Chair. We're happy to take any questions. Okay. Um, I thank Sarah. Pardon? I just said Anthony, stop sharing the screen. Thank you. Okay, no, thank you. Can I thank Sarah, uh, Ronan, and Anthony for for the for a comprehensive presentation? Uh, there is quite a considerable interest from members 
on this. Uh, so what I would say is that I'd ask members to, to be succinct in, in your questioning uh, so that we can get the best out of this session. So firstly, can I ask, what is the time scales going forward? Firstly, for finding out if the final determination is funded. And secondly, for putting its recommendations in place. And what is the impact if you don't get the investment you require? Could you outline some of the hard choices that you will have to make as an organisation? Um, so the timeline is the uh, investment really should have been committed to six months ago, Mr Chair. Um, the PC21 has started. It started on the 1st of April. Um, we are pleased that we do have funding in place for year one, uh, but we are seeking a much stronger commitment that will um, allow us to continue to plan on for years two to six um, of, of this uh, PC21 programme um, because these are very large um, multi-year investments. So if you think about the work that was taken in Belfast, we will be investing hundreds of millions of pounds down in that area of Belfast um, and that isn't something that you can do on a year-by-year -year basis. So we will need to know that we have the executive support for that um, investment over this medium term. Um, and uh, what would happen if the investment wasn't made available? Well, today, there are well over 100 towns and uh, areas in Northern Ireland where the wastewater infrastructure is at capacity. And what that means for people who are trying to expand their business, for people who are, uh, for the Department for the Communities who's trying to build social housing, or indeed for anyone who is trying to, to undertake development work, they're being constrained they're being told uh, their planning applications are being held up because there isn't the capacity in the wastewater network to take away that waste. Um, so the impact of not funding this programme of work would really be a slowing of the economy here in Northern Ireland um, and it would be a risk to the environment, to our water courses um, from potential pollution incidents. Okay, thank you. What are the priority areas if you can't do everything you require? Are there certain areas or certain parts of Northern Ireland that do need urgent attention? And I recognise what you say, that the pressures are, are right across the board, but is there anything in particular that the committee must be aware of in relation to its, its pressing need if you can't do everything that you require? Um, well, obviously, uh, the, all the investment uh, does go through a prioritisation process, so we will be very much able to set out, uh, in, in the case of a sh uh, funding shortfall, where um, investments won't happen, um, and, and indeed that priority list does exist. But I would have to say that um, it, it, I think the committee is very aware of um, the the. The, the key priority being wastewater, wastewater infrastructure. And, and it isn't just, I mean, I could mention Belfast because it's the largest individual project, but it isn't just in Belfast. It is right across um, Northern Ireland. It will it, it, affect every single member of the committee. Their constituency will have an area which is impacted by uh, wastewater capacity. So um, actually, the underinvestment that... There, there has been systemic underinvestment in water and wastewater infrastructure over this past 10 to 15 years um, and therefore we are at the point where it isn't really an option to cut back. We must invest now unless we, we want to stagnate our economy here. Okay. 
Okay, thank you. No, I, I found very interesting your, your part of your presentation in terms of the, the green sort of revolution that could happen within NI Water. That's a very exciting uh, time for you as, a, as an entity and indeed uh, could have some real potential and long-standing benefits to the people of Northern Ireland. So I suppose it is a spend-to-save project, uh, a project which may require substantial investment now, but in the long run will save NI water money and help it run more efficient, efficiently. suppose what I would like to ask, and maybe this is probably, uh, given your presentation, it probably is very r realistic, but how realistic is the proposal uh, in which you have outlined in relation to that hydro capacity, uh, and how much of a game changer could that be for the Northern Ireland economy? Uh, well, yes, indeed. Um, we can we can say with confidence that it's very realistic because we're doing it because we're actually producing hydrogen on a small scale uh, today, and that by um, uh, the autumn time we will be um, up and running at a much larger scale. Um, which all of that has a huge potential benefit for Northern Ireland. So the key thing is that we the whole world is driving towards low cost, sustainable uh, green energy. Um, and we will all be able to get there. The question is, how much will it cost? So you can choose to do it in a very expensive manner, or you can choose to do it in a cost-effective manner. Making use of our assets, our you know, publicly-owned water and wastewater assets, would enable Northern Ireland to get low-cost, sustainable green energy, um, you know, uh, low-cost being the operative word, at a much lower cost than all other geographies. That would give us a competitive advantage. Um, so the potential is very, very real, but it can only be realised if you've got a water company that's viable. Um, and we won't be viable if the investment for PC21 uh, isn't there. So if we can't provide the basic services, if we can't make sure that you're getting clean, safe drinking water to your tap completely uninterrupted, if we can't make sure that um, sewage isn't escaping uh, into our rivers, into our gardens, into our homes and businesses because we've underfunded the basic provision of water and wastewater, then you don't get the hydrogen benefits and the low-cost energy benefits. But if you do fund it, the potential is there, and the potential is there to be world-leading. Northern Ireland could set itself um, head and shoulders above other jurisdictions. Okay, thank you, and I go to members for questioning. And I know Martina did have a question and requested to be in at the start, but unfortunately she, she has had to, to end the meeting. So uh, perhaps maybe uh, she may email some questions that we could follow up on later on. So we're going to go to the vice chair, David Hilditch, for a question. Thanks, chair, and thanks, sir, for the presentation and the, with your team this morning. It's been very useful indeed. Um, could you just give me some information on the on the charge there in relation to interest and dividend payments? That, Five hundred and eight million. Uh, how does that come about? You've obviously brought in source of funding and one, and then outlay. Did I hear you saying that that went back to government or that interest? Yes, or? I don't know being our finance director, but yeah, Ronan, you can pick that one up, please. Thanks, thanks, um, David. Um, yes, so you, on the slide you saw that five hundred eight million pounds across the six years, which is a considerable sum of money, and that's made up of both interest and yeah. dividend payments. So the interest we pay is on the, on the loans that Northern Ireland Water has borrowed from government to, to Treasury, Department of Finance, into what is now Department of Infrastructure since we began in 2007. So we're servicing those loans with an interest payment every quarter. And the, the, the total um, amount of that interest that we will pay during PC21 it will, will be 
included within that 508 million. Um, the other, the other part of uh, within that is the is the dividend. So the government owns the shareholding um, in, in Northern Ireland Board at 100%. So it's 100% shareholding owned, and, and the representative for government is Department of Infrastructure. And the regulator, through its price control process, um, it assesses what level of return should the shareholder, in this case uh, government, be allowed to make uh, on its investment. And therefore, then, if, if, if we're able to hit the plan, which we, which we, you know, which we aim to do, um, and you know, the, the plan works, then each year the board will consider, the board in Northern Ireland Water, it has a responsibility to consider should it pay a dividend across to, to the, the shareholder. And um, all things being equal, if that dividend was to be, to be paid, um, that would be included within that £508 million as well. So I don't have to hand the split between interest and dividend today with me, but I can get that to the committee if that would be helpful. Um, but, but you're right, that, that, money is, that money is then paid back into government. We would pay that money. The interest would be paid quarterly uh, each year, and then a dividend would be, would be assessed and considered by the board. And if the board uh, was to recommend a dividend, then, then that would be paid once annually following the year-end exercise and the publication of an annual report in accounts. Okay, thank you. Um, is the company in a position then to, to have reserves as such? So, so Northern Ireland Water, it's a great question, um, David. Uh, Northern Ireland Water has, um, it has reserves on its balance sheet based on its performance, but it has no cash reserves. So normally reserves are only really useful if they're cash backed in the business. But we don't have cash back reserves. Um, so any outperformance that we would have made over the years, if we had it done that, um, you know, other companies will hold that in reserve in their balance sheet. Uh, so for instance, Scottish Water uh, does that, and, and they have a thing called Scottish Water Fund, which can be used in agreement with, with, with parts, I think, of their own shareholder and government as to the, what they would use that money for further prioritisation. Northern Ireland Water doesn't have that. And it's a great question, because it takes you into, if there was an issue, if we were facing an issue, does Northern Ireland need a resilient water company that's able to deal with issues and deal with you know both immediate and short-term issues as well as long-term issues? And the big the big piece that I think we need to consider further as as, as you know as a region, and perhaps the regulator needs to think further about um, even after the publication of this price control is um, we talk about operational resilience and the resilience of our assets, which is hugely important. But we also need to consider, I think, and, and it's a question for all of us, and, and not least for, the, for a committee such as yourselves, we need to think about the financial resilience of what is a very, you know, it's a day-to-day -day essential service. And I guess there's been a very strong illustration of how essential that service has been during this past 12 months with the pandemic, where everybody in Northern Ireland water, uh, everyone in Northern Ireland was using water on a, on a much bigger basis uh, for, for hygiene and for cleaning hands and, and, and keeping surfaces clean and so on. So, the financial resilience of a water company for our region is really a question I think that we can, you know, that all of us, including the committee, um, need to address. And we would welcome, we would welcome giving more input into that piece, and we'd welcome any further questions from the committee as to how we get there with that. Yeah, thank you. And just on revenue incoming streams, uh, you have some monies set aside against uh, those who are metered, uh, basically companies, businesses. Uh, large, large companies and businesses in around the city, and that the, there, there is a there is a trend now that a lot of these people are still working from home. The, the, the water usage, I'm sure, has gone down in some of those areas where you would be expecting higher income at this time. Have you done any work on that to see how much you may be losing out there on what these 
these new working practices seem to be, because I know some folk have been told they could be on these schemes for some considerable time ahead. It might, yeah, it might, it might even become permanent. <laughs> yeah. And no, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very relevant question. Um, and we did some work on that. We, we, we assessed that and we looked at that with the department and also with the regulator. And um, we, we ran estimates on that and shared those with the regulator as part of our an updated PC21 uh, business plan back last summer, last autumn, um, and the, our 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 assessment of that is, is that there will be a there will be a continuous probably reduction uh, in what what was pre-pandemic levels, and we don't see that recovering probably until at least 2024. And even then, you know, there, there's still that question that you raise is you know will that be a full recovery of those those numbers? So we we looked at those estimates estimates, and then we assessed them against. Um, I think you know publications such as University of Ulster looked at that kind of thing as well, and the wider economists in Northern Ireland took a look at that. And the work that we had done kind of held up against theirs. It was it was pretty you know um, it was pretty much along the lines that those other uh, entities and economists were looking at. So we factored those into our income in PC twenty one, and we knew we were continuing to monitor how quickly that downturn will start to move differently. Okay, Ronald, thank you. Uh, Chair, that's... Okay, thank you, David. And can I go now to Liz, please? Thanks, Chair, and thank you, Ronan and Sarah, um, for for presentation. It's very, very informative, and it's good to see you again, albeit virtually. Look, just a couple of questions. Um, firstly, in relation, I suppose, to my own constituency here in Uri, um, the wastewater treatment works that were mentioned in your brief. And it was just to ask when you could expect um, capacity to increase in the area. And can I also ask what additional works are planned for, for the Nuri and RMI area? Um, and if there's any way of, of possibly expediting the process, because I know, Sarah, you had said as well, just you know, the impacts of that, where that were wastewaters at full capacity, the impact on, on future development, and that's, that's certainly a massive issue for our constituency. Um, and I think it is important to try and solve this issue if we're going to grow in a, a more regionally balanced way and, and also in terms of protecting the environment. Um, absolutely, Liz. So I don't have the entire plan with me or the timings of, of each of the plans. So it is something that um, we can provide to you offline. I suppose what I would say here at the minute is um, it's being, the plan's really being baselined. Um, I, uh, my high level understanding is that the work uh, in Newry is, is quite high up the prioritisation list. However, what I would say is in these initial years of this price control, um, quite a lot of money needs to be invested and time spent in designing the solutions. So um, in, in, in many instances, you might not actually see the construction happening straight off, but we will be investing the money to make sure that the design is right um, and that we build in sufficient capacity. Um, so I, I, can't, um, I can't really get you the specifics for Newry, but all that exists. It just didn't come with every single council's um, breakdown this, this morning. <laughs> And I suppose the other thing really to say to all members is that um, this is a long-term investment plan. So I think the thing to be very conscious of, sometimes people, maybe the risk is, I sound quite pleased because I've got year one funding in place. And people think, well, that's it. The water problem is fixed. This is a 12 to 18-year um, it was a problem and it's a 12 to 18-year solution. We are going to be spending, uh, investing 
300 million plus per annum right across Northern Ireland, where we're going to need to for the next 12 to 18 years. Um, so we won't fix this all in the first six years. But, but you did see, and, and Ron did call out, that the, the Newry Wastewater Treatment Works is, is, is on that list for PC21. I don't know, anything you want to add. <clears throat> Sorry, no thanks, Sarah. Well, I do appreciate that, and I appreciate even just the fact that Nuri is so high is good news because I know um, I can, we can name you quite a number of issues in, in the area that have been well known over the years. You could be road and Green Street and all of those are part of those tracks. Very clear that it's very good. Um, just a couple of other questions before we finish in terms of um, this year and what is actually possible in your idea of how many. Um, Sorry, a wee bit of interference there. How many of the, the wastewater treatment works will see their capacity issues addressed in that first year? And I mean, is there any scope for, for increasing that, do you think? Well, this year um, we are investing £215 million. So, as I say, quite a lot of the work in this first year will be uh, in around studies and designs. So, um, the having restrictions lifted. Um, it is likely to happen more towards the second half of the price control than it is in, in, in the early years. So the focus in the early years will continue to be on working with developers, liaising with the environment agency, trying to make the most of what capacity does exist or what other offsetting measures that we can um, work together on. So we, we have a solutions engineering team who work with developers now who try to see for example, is um, stormwater offsetting uh, a viable option to help buy some time and to allow this capital investment program to flow? Okay, well, thank you. And I suppose my last question just um, there, there have been noted that there are resource pressures, um, although I do know that the government appears to be a bit of a resource allocated to any water. Can you give a wee bit more detail of what that would go towards too? Sorry, there was a wee bit of interference there. Uh, but Ronan, did you pick up the question? Maybe yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was some additional resource Dell allocated to Northern Ireland water. And can we give a sense as to what that's being used for? Um, so, so, so I have to say, you know, the, the, the Assembly did a very difficult job during COVID and we worked very strongly with the Assembly through our own minister last year and, and, and right across the piece, including with the finance minister's team. And, and we were able to secure additional funding last summer, which made up for the huge difference in, in the billing income that we lost as a result of, of COVID. When everybody had to close up the businesses and go home, um, our revenues fell and, and that then left a hole in our resource deal. So last year, the 2021 year, um, we eventually had a, 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 we resolved that issue and the assembly put more money available to us back last uh, summer, which allowed us to continue to run the business through that, that particular COVID year. This year, 21-22 uh, that we just began, um, there was some additional COVID monies made available to us, which we had included within our budgets. And again, part of that is because we know our income stream continues to be reduced from where it was as a pre-COVID level. And we know that we're still facing some additional costs this year in operating costs. So for instance, there's still a, a significant degree of social distancing, um, of, of careful working with contracting and, and you know contractors on their on their spaces and so on. And we're continuing to run uh, COVID hygiene systems and practices that we, we ran during the pandemic. The pandemic's not over and we're continuing to run those to make sure that anyone that's coming into contact with any of our sites 
whether it's operationally or um, uh, capital sites, they're, they're, they're as protected as we can make them. The sites are safe and clean. Um, we're also, again, a lot of our staff are, are working remotely from home. Um, we still have to make our operational sites available, but the, remote, the, the piece about working from home, we continue to have to run um, significant, I guess, increased costs around our, our telephony and our IT and pieces like that. So our IT team have been working incredibly hard to make sure that all of those IT systems stay running. And we see increased cost with that that we're, we're dealing with this year as well. And again, some of our marketplace, some of our supply base that we work with locally, um, they are citing to us where they're seeing increased running costs and we're trying to make sure we're, we're working with them within guidance so that they're able to continue to provide the service to us that we need for our customers. Okay, thank you. Um, Thanks, Chair. Uh, okay, can we move on now to, to Roy Beggs? <coughs> Good morning, Sarah and Roland. Again, thanks for your presentation. Um, You've highlighted that uh, there are significant development constraints because of the inadequate wastewater treatment works uh, and, and subsequent investment, to, to put it right. Um, how exactly do you prioritise uh, which one uh, you think should be invested in, in first? That's my first question. So we work with the Environment Agency. Um, and we work with the, uh, and we take that information sources from Red Cross Northern Ireland. But basically, Environment Agency will say to us, if we've got works that are actually currently failing, so they're not meeting the, the standards that they should right now with the current loading, then they get to the top of the list, or you know, they're the ones that must be addressed first. And then you start to take into consideration the uh, predicted growth and um, you know the expansion in areas, and what will that do to the ability of a treatment works to comply. Um, and, and through that process, a prioritised list is agreed, but really the Environment Agency are, are, are almost the, the arbiter uh, of the list, and we're really the deliverer of the investment. So it isn't something that uh, MI Water arbitrarily agreed. There's a work group, um, and the regulator were um, very much kind of involved in that process with us as well. But um, the Environment Agency have a, have a key role to play there in that prioritisation process. Uh, thank, thanks for that. I see in the, in the list you provided, you've mentioned Larne, Carrickfergus, um, Green Island and Whitehouse. Virtually the entire East Antrim constituency, certainly the major centres of, of, of population. Uh, so uh, particularly with the need for social housing and, and plans to um, demolish high-rise flats, uh, there is a need for new social housing, and even it's been impacted. So I think it is it is vital that uh, you get the resource. Um, now you've indicated there's been a, 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 a healthy year one investment, but your capital investment plan shows the need actually increasing over the next number of years. So, so I'm just seeking clarity by how much you think that needs to uh, increase to to hit your targets that have been agreed. So the, the, the slide deck there that was shared shows us really going from, um, I think the slide deck maybe started at 170 million, but we've been able to pull some of that investment forward and we're investing 215 this year, but you're as high as over 400 by year four or five. So the little blue line in your pack on the, on the graph that had the two, um, the two lines, the green line and the blue line, the blue line was the capital, and you can see that the capital uh, rises well over £400 million pounds by about uh, year four, I think, and, and the same in year five, maybe dropping it to 
higher than 300 million in year six. And really, we would see looking at it in the next six years will not fall below 300 million. That significant investment and continues. And when you mentioned some of the areas that you mentioned are very much covered in the Living with Water program, which is a half a billion pound investment in its own right, um, with another half a billion needed in the next price control. So um, there's just a lot of work to do in those wastewater networks. Uh, will, you, will you be able to provide us with a list of those schemes you expect to start this year, um, subsequent years, um, because it is um, affecting uh, those who are developing plans, whether it's businesses or whether it's uh, additional housing for, for the area. Turn, turn to a different area then um, in terms of reducing our carbon footprint. Uh, and you've mentioned um, a billion trees, your solar farm, um, potential for wind energy uh, generation uh, and hydrogen. What I was surprised that I didn't hear anything about hydroelectric. You already have a dam structure. Recently, I've been to a walk up the Silent Valley. You have the upper dam there. Uh, and again, in, in my own constituency, in the, in the Woodburn Dams networks, uh, the middle dam has a number of dams above it. So, so my question is, have you investigated or are you open to um, others to consider uh, actually generating hydroelectricity for you on your site uh, in order to reduce your carbon footprint even further, building on that existing infrastructure. Yeah, of course, and, and indeed, um, it is something that we have investigated. And I guess as plans have started to come forward, you're probably working off the ones that are most cost effective. So wind is most cost effective. Now, wind was quite heavily subsidised in the early years, but now it, does, it, it really it washes its face. It, it makes its business case without any subsidy. So that's why wind is prevalent now. Um, and hydro uh, is is a is quite a, a, a big investment. It is definitely something that we are happy to be involved in. And certainly that whole area of providing stability for the electricity network and providing a fast response energy source um, can be um, done via that kind of those kind of pumped storage schemes. So we're you know very happy and comfortable to be involved in conversations around our assets. Um, so there's another benefit for Northern Ireland more widely because you've got a publicly owned water company caveated by you can only do this if you've got a viable water company and you won't have a viable water company if you don't fund it. Okay, okay thank you. Thank you and thank you, Roy. Uh, could I move now to, to Andrew? Um, thank you very much, Chair, and thank you uh, for everyone who's given along and give us uh, very detailed information. Just a couple of things, and I'm conscious of time, so we'll try to keep it brief. Uh, we are aware of increased construction costs, which are being experienced at the present moment in time. So just wanted to have an update in terms of the impact that it will be having upon the investment that has been undertaken and is also planned. I know that is a, a significant concern within the industry. The other one is just in relation to capital funding. In the recent monitoring round, there was £91 million in capital funding available, but bids of only £61 million were received. So we're already starting to see an issue here where there's the ability within the public sector in Northern Ireland to spend the funding that's been allocated. I just wanted to see from yourselves, just by your capacity to deliver capital projects and whether there is additional capacity to be able to uh, utilise that funding, because the worst thing ever is to return that money back to the centre. 
When we look at our capital program, I guess you know that strapline of delivering what matters. So when we set out to make a commitment, we will deliver against our commitments. We very much want this price control to be one that is in control. So where funding is allocated at the start of the year and is delivered upon. So I'm not really up for a program that relies on bidding through monitoring rounds. So if I bid in the June monitoring round, I might get told by October, but I'm more likely to be told in December I've got the money. The year ends in March. I'm building huge assets. So I need forward planning. And so this year, we went into the year think with a 200 million pounds capital investment, and we did bid and work with the department and bid an extra 15 million and, and increased our program to 215 million. And I think that's right for us. Um, it allows us to ramp our program up. So we're taking a big step up from 170 million last year to 215 million this year. And we're doing it in a way that enables us to deliver because that's what we're all about delivering. And therefore we can forward plan into the subsequent years. Um, and I think that's the right thing for, um, for us to do. So we're absolutely up for additional funding, but not lastminute.com. And this needs to be controlled and it needs to be done properly. And that's what I want to set up for this price control. Um, rising costs are obviously a concern for, for all involved in the construction industry. And Roland's been working very closely on that. So I'll, I'll let him jump in here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before I talk about uh, inflation, Sarah makes a very strong point. If we were able to tell our marketplace here in Northern Ireland, we have secured funding for the six-year programme. We would see, I think, we would see a very responsive market, who, who, you know, supply chain, who could who could sign up to those construction schemes. They could invest in jobs, which is great for job creation here in Northern Ireland, and they could also make investment in equipment and skills and systems and IT and so on, which would all help our economy. But if we're only able to say to them, look, we can see year one, and we maybe have an understanding of what year two and three looks like, um, it becomes more difficult for them. To, to make those investments and those commitments. And I think Andrew, that, you know, that, that point around being able to say we have a final determination from a regulator which is independent of Northern Ireland water. If Northern Ireland can say, look, that's a six-year programme, we know we need the infrastructure and we know it makes sense because it'll, it'll be an immediate boost to our economy across the six years coming out of COVID. So we'll end up with a stronger economy, a better resource mix, local companies and their, and their supply partners uh, able to grow and enjoy some of that growth and put that money back into the economy. And at the end of it, we'll have, we'll have better 21st century infrastructure. That's where we have to be thinking about the funding. So getting your one off to the, the fully funded start is really helpful. And it's only the beginning. We have to find a way, I think, all of us collectively to say we can see our way through to year two to six. That's where we need to be. Then we can talk to our marketplace about that piece. But if I come back to that same marketplace and talk about inflation, um, you're absolutely right to raise the question. And any of us who've been reading, you know, watches the media and follows that, we'd have, we'd have seen some of those headlines. Um, we've had some representation in from the, 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 the um, industry bodies and so on that say, hey, this is the kind of things they're, they're experiencing, they're starting to see in their supply costs. We're starting to monitor that in our own cost base as well when we look at prices that we pay for equipment. Um, our, our PC21 construction program, if you just, if you just look at you know, the engineering program, the, 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 the schemes that we were talking about, at two, I'd say, at, let's call it the headline 2 billion. Um, 
if if you know if inflation you know rose and stayed steady at five percent on that kind of thing, you know you're talking about another um, hundred million pound to be found over the life of the you know all things being equal over the over the life of the program. Now that takes you back to financial resilience because the, the, the Department of Finance and the Economy and and, and the, the, the Assembly might say here we don't have an extra hundred million, so just cut some keep cutting things out of your program in order to keep the number below that you know at that two billion. Um, so the real impacts of inflation could be that same schemes that we know we need as a, as a region simply don't get done. In England and Wales, the companies in England and Wales, they're able to assess those inflationary pressures. They're able to look to see what they can absorb in the same way as we do that. You know, what economies can we make to absorb some of those? But equally, and I think more importantly, they know that they're able to draw on the reserves or they're able to draw down further financing so that they can carry on and not cut schemes from the plan, so that the whole plan gets delivered, and they can true that up with the regulator um, you know, through and after the event, as it were. That's the one thing we don't have here in Northern Ireland for, 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 for our own water company, because if, if, if our um, capital scheme was, was, was rising higher than the inflation that is set within the PC21 programme, you know, necessarily the Department of Finance and the Department of Infrastructure might say, we don't have extra money. Can you cut something from the, the, the capital schemes? And I think that's the road we should not go down because we know that everything in everything in the programme has been approved by the regulator, signed off by the regulator. There's some there's some finer detail towards the back end of the programme that they still want to see further information on. But broadly speaking, the final determination has been set and we shouldn't cut schemes. We know that cutting schemes will damage the economy and it will further set back the, you know, the, the process of beginning to address those constraints. Okay. But it is a, it is an area that we're monitoring and we're working we're, we're we're talking to our supply chain about it. Okay. Thank you. Satisfied, Andrew? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, can we now move finally then to Cahill for a question? Thank you very much, Chair and, and Ron and Sarah and Anthony. Thanks very much for coming along again. It's good to see you again. Um, we're we're at part of the final process, but just a few points because I know that I want to pick up on some of the questions already asked, but just. Um, just a few wee things. Just in terms of the um, the draft determination, the final determination in terms of the utility regulators call for an overall reduction that says seventy three million. Um, would you like to respond in terms of are with that? Um, I don't know, Sarah or, or Ronan, maybe you would like to comment just in relation to that, please. I mean, I'm happy to lead, sir, if you're okay on. Just a broad view of that, Cal. So yeah. we put business plan into the regulator in January 2020. And as Sarah said earlier, we built a challenging ambitious plan for Northern Ireland water, for Northern Ireland. So we put, we put efficiency targets in it right across our operating base and our capital programmes. And, and more importantly than efficiency, we put service improvements in there as well for, for customers. Um, so so it, it, it is a strong, ambitious, credible plan um, for Northern Ireland, and we know we have some heavy lifting and some stretch to do in order to meet it. Uh, in September the re uh, 2020, the regulator then published its draft determination. This is interim view, and they they looked at the plan, they endorsed many parts of the plan, they endorsed the overall philosophy of the plan and the ambition of the plan, and they stretched it further. They said we think there's a lot more can be done in um, efficiencies operating efficiencies, and they, they said there's a lot more they thought that could be done in capital efficiencies. So by way of illustration, our business plan said that we would be running Northern Ireland water for about £14 million less at the end of the price control than we, than we would be running it in 2018-19. Okay? 
The regulator in the draft determination, they said, well, that 14 million should be pushed to 23 and a half million, roughly. Um, and on the capital, on, on the capital side, they put in a number of adjustments, which would have taken round about nine percent all in out of the capital program. So a significant cost on the capital program. Um, how they marshal those, uh, particularly one area, they, they put what they described as a general risk adjustment. They took out, they took out some money, saying there's just a general adjustment against the capital program, and they, they had tried to set out a basis on that. Um, what they did do at draft determination when they published those adjustments. Um, they, they asked for further input and further evidence from Northern Ireland Water um, so that they could help reach a, a final determination. So we put that work together. We worked, we worked, I think I have to say the regulator worked very well during that period with us and we, our team set about making sure that, that evidence, all of that evidence as necessary was available for the regulator. The conclusion of all of that further work between draft and final determination is that if you look at the, the operating cost side, the regulator looked at our £14 million efficiencies. Instead of putting it to £23 million, they, they took it back to about £15.2 million. So they increased it further, but not to the extent that they had done at draft stage. And on the capital side, they held some of the efficiencies, but they removed the, the, the general risk adjustment based on our evidence base that that would damage the capital programme too far, and there wasn't really a basis for doing it, because our capital programme, on a number of measures and peer reviews, stood up to scrutiny in terms of what we were looking to pay for different schemes and what the cost units would be in there. In there. So I think that the overall conclusion of the final determination was that the, the final determination, um, it, it, it came a lot closer back to our business plan, which was a positive outcome, we believe. Um, because at the draft determination stage, we certainly could not have been recommending um, the, 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 you know, what, what, you know, if the draft determination and the final determination had stayed the same, um, I, I think we would not have been recommending it to our board, um, and I, I think you know. Therefore, we would not have had a final conclusion for PC Twenty One at this stage. Um, I think where the regulator got to was a strong positive outcome. So they pushed further, but they recognised there is ambition and challenge within our plan. They recognised that the plan was built on a good sound evidence base, and that, that, that the schemes in there are necessary. They want to continue to work with us through the six-year period to make sure they're they're up to speed with all of that detail. Um, and they, they, they left, they, they, they included within the final determination additional stretch and challenge on top of what we had put into our plan. So I think probably it was a, a strong output, but certainly at, at draft determination stage, we felt there was probably too big a gap to bridge, and we would have had significant reservations about recommending that to our board. Okay. And just just to find quickly points, Chair. I mean, and, and I think, sorry, you touched on. I mean, um, multi-year budget staffing is vitally important. I mean, because it certainly would lead to more efficiencies. You know what I mean? Just and you're commenting on that, and also run the. Um, and I mentioned this before because it's it's not so much a bugbear. It's, it's something we keep an eye on. Obviously, the the local development plans are key to all this here, in terms of it, when they come around to housing units and developments and what they want to do in terms of business so just your views and all of that now now that you've had, you know the PC is set alone albeit a, a yearly budget for now but just commenting on multi-year budgets and also in relation to the area plans thank you yeah I, I think I mean the, the, the multi-year budget piece if I pick that piece up first um, you know it, we're a long term industry so, so we're a utility we put assets in the ground that can last 50 plus, you know, 70. There's still an asset serving parts of Belfast that was built about 100 years ago down in the Silent Valley. 
So we're very much a long-term asset uh, business for our customers. You know, we put, we put assets in that will serve our customers for many, many decades. We, we put together a 25-year strategy back in 2019 that, that stakeholders had asked us to put together, and we welcomed the opportunity to do that. And that's a 25-year strategy out to 2045. And then PC21 is the first six years, really, of that strategy being implemented. Um, we would welcome a, 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 a position where, um, particularly because we, you know, we put together a business plan, it's scrutinized and assessed by an independent body and their experts. We think it would be a strong position for Northern Ireland to get to if, if the resource need and the capital need could be ring-fenced for Northern Ireland border, then we could get after delivering that over that, that six-year period and, and so on into the next price, price control, etc., etc. Um, it would make it so much more... Um, it would, it would, you know, it would complement the work we've done on our plan so much better. So the supply chain, as we said, could respond better if they knew that they had guaranteed work way ahead of them. I think you're right, Cahill, you know, they would be able to respond to that, both in terms of the investment that they would make in the local economy, as well as um, how it would reflect on the prices they bid for the work, because with certainty they can bid an improved price usually. Um, it would mean that we could then guarantee and, and start pushing towards those outcomes that we've put in our plan, which ultimately, quite, in quite a lot of cases, will underpin some of the outcomes that were in various programmes for government, including things like, um, you take the Department for Communities, making sure there was adequate and modern and sufficient housing stock for everyone in Northern Ireland right across, uh, you know, right, right across the province here. So us having the right networks in place and the right capacity for treatment will allow those programmes for, for private and for social housing particularly to continue apace so that Northern Ireland, you know, the, the, the quality of Northern Ireland's housing stock would continue across that six years. But the housing associations have, have spoken to us and they're like a lot of other developers they need to know they can go out and, and buy land, knowing that they can get the, the, the connections they need, particularly to the wastewater side. Without that certainty, they kind of have to wait and go on a piecemeal basis. So there is a whole economy effect in all of this. And the impact on our own organisation would be a very positive one, but it wouldn't stop just with us. It would, be, it, it would ripple out into uh, the, the construction and civil engineering and quarrying uh, supply chain here in Northern Ireland. But it would also it would also touch very strongly on really all parts I think of programme for government, whether it's environment and nature, or or things like housing stock or quality of life for people here in Northern Ireland. Our plan is an enabler, and our Northern Ireland water is an enabler to what I know that the committee and politicians and so on want to do here in Northern Ireland. Okay. And we would welcome um, an opportunity to to engage further on how we get to multi-year budgets. Okay, thank you, and, and thank you, Cahill, for the questions. I think that was a thank very final point. Uh, so can I look at this stage, can I thank uh, Sir Ronan and Anthony for your presentation. It's fair to say that the committee remain very interested in the programme uh, and will look forward to further uh, engagement with yourselves going forward. So I'd like to thank you all at this stage, uh, and, and thank you for taking the time. Sarah, do you want to? Yes, we have not, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. It's hard to know whether his waves or her hand up. Okay, members, thank thank you. Uh, we're now going to move on to our, our well. Before that, is any present matter, matters members want to raise before we go to our next briefing from the presentation? 
No. Okay, so we'll move to our, our next briefing, which is from Uri Business Improvement District and uh, Controlled Parking Zones. Hansard will record the meeting uh, and remind members at page 167, the Uri Business Improvement District briefing paper on controlled parking zones. And at this stage, can I welcome via Starleaf uh, Mr. Eamon Connolly, manager of Uri BID. Mr. Gary MacDonald, uh, President, Lisburn uh, Chamber of Commerce, and Mr. Glenn Roberts, uh, Retail NI. Gentlemen, you're very welcome to today's committee, and can I hand it over to you for your presentation? Hi, Chair, can you hear me okay? Can indeed, yes, Glenn. Yeah, um, perhaps before my two colleagues come in to talk more in depth about Newry uh, and, and Lisbon. Um, perhaps I, I just want to perhaps put uh, what we're asking for uh, in a bit of context. But it's a very simple ask because what we're asking for for Lisbon and Newry uh, city centres is the same deal on on-street car parking that every other major town and city have in Northern Ireland, namely one or three uh, car parking on street. And of course, it, it's important to, to point out that as we begin the long road to recovery, small apps like this will go a long way assisting shoppers and indeed independent retailers. And you know, let, and as every one of you know, Mr. Oh, Chairman, uh, oh, independent. Significant disruption on the line. You're quite hard to, to hear. Do you have any headphones? Perhaps maybe could make it easier. I don't, can you hear me now? can hear you now. Can I ask all other members to please present. mute uh, while uh, Ben is contributing, please? Okay, I'll try now, Glenn. How about that? That's perfect, thank you. Brilliant. And of course, as I was saying, Chair, this, if we're serious about our high street recovery, then it is small aspect this will go a long way in supporting many independent retailers uh, as they do begin that sort of long road towards recovery and literally the ask is about ensuring that shoppers uh, have that sort of hassle-free experience in Uri uh, and City where they don't have to scratch around and find spur change and we know that in many of your, indeed if your constituency, Mr Chairman of Banbridge and Portadown, you know exactly how welcome that one hour free is to many of those small traders. Uh, where many people who live in, in rural areas come in, they do a small shop and they are away again. They don't have to worry about spur change. There's a change, there's a turnover of traffic and if the uh, car goes over its first hour free, then it is subject to uh, a ticket. But I think I also want to put into context that we, since we've put this ask out there, um, I've been sort of slightly staggered at the response from uh, many uh, organisations that accuse us uh, of being opposed to the, the green agenda, very much far from it. Um, we do want to see more open green spaces. We do want to see public transport being the first option. And of course, Chair, if you and other committee members would yesterday testify, Retail and I signature campaign High Street Heroes has been advertised on a bus. We want shoppers to use public transport as their first option. We also want to see shoppers given the choice of walking and cycling as well. But also that choice has to include, include uh, accessible and affordable car parking. We do want to get to the point where there are less cars in our town and city centres. It is about moving people ultimately rather than vehicles. But to do that, 
That has to be done incrementally. That has to be done working with local traders, local chambers of commerce, local business improvement districts. And to our disappointment, um, we've asked for uh, a meeting with the minister. Uh, she again refused. We've asked for a six-month pilot in the two areas. Again, that has been knocked back. And if you look at the, the right across nearly every party and elected representative within Newry and Lisburn has indicated their support for what the traders are asking for. I mean, this will not generate more traffic. It will simply be a benefit to those traders in those towns, help the shoppers um, and go some way to uh, helping those two of our major uh, city centres to start the long road to recovery. So that's just my sort of um, okay. opening remarks. Um, and I think my colleagues, Gary uh, and Eamon, um, will come in and talk in, in greater detail. Okay. Uh, Eamon or Gary, do you want to take up there? And then there will be a session for members' questions following that. Okay. Uh, um, it's Eamon here. Uh, firstly, thank you for the opportunity to present on such an important issue. Um, we are basically looking for a fair managed parking solution. I would echo everything Glenn has said. We do not want free parking. We fully support the enforcement against illegal parking. And all we're looking for is an equitable solution. Um, this is an existential threat to keeping our town centres alive at our most vulnerable period. I would like to remind members that Amazon doesn't pay tax in Northern Ireland. And this is about supporting local communities and supporting local business. And we daily deal with the evidence of the challenges this presents. And um, we are very supportive of a sustainable active travel solution. But for that to happen, the infrastructure has to be in place, whether it's electric charging vehicles and all, 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 all those options. But we deal with the reality of day-to-day -day survival. And what we're looking for today is fairness with the rest of Northern Ireland and an ability to compete on a level playing field. And we don't think that's an unreasonable ask. Okay, thank you. And do we have Gary? Yes, I'll, I'll talk on behalf of um, Lisburn um, City Centre. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Gary McDonald, President of the Chamber of Commerce. Um, I'll just uh, reiterate the fact that the only ask we want is equality of um, on-street uh, parking with every other town and city centre in Northern Ireland, with the exception of Newry, Lisburn uh, and Belfast. Uh, how could it be fair to impose on-street parking charges in Lisburn and Newry when none exist in Derry, Coleraine, Inskillen, Bangor and Banbridge? So we want equality with those other city centres as we build back from what's been a very, very difficult period for our retailers. The public want convenience, and convenience is what they'll go to uh, at every single opportunity. So out of town is convenient. Uh, city centre, when you have to find change or have to find uh, uh, some sort of payment for the city centre, put, is enough to put people off. And I'll head towards Sprucefield or they'll head towards the Boucher Road. Um, 20 years ago, uh, Lisburn and uh, Newry became cities, but fundamentally were market towns, and most of our uh, traffic is coming from the surrounding areas. People need to travel by uh, car into the uh, town centres uh, to do their business, and if that's made inconvenient, then they'll find alternatives to go to at every single opportunity. Um, at the moment, we have a couple of um, planning requests into Lisburn and Castlereagh City Council for further uh, out-of-town developments, uh, mainly 
particularly with this new fad for uh, drive-through, which seems to be uh, popping up everywhere in place. So we need to support our city centres at every opportunity, and this is the, the ask that we have now. It's just equality. Thank you. Okay. Uh, can I thank you all for, for your presentation? I will move to members' questions, but firstly, a, a number from me, if possible. Um, so perhaps Glenn, Glenn might be the best to answer this. So what has your engagement with the department been like to date on this matter? Well, Chair, I have to say it's, it's disappointing. Um, we asked the Minister to come down and visit both uh, city centres. Um, that request was uh, refused. We had a meeting with officials, and I have to say, I'm sure my two colleagues would agree, it was a pretty useless meeting um, because they came in uh, with an approach which said they knew better uh, than the traders in the very city centres that we were talking about, that they knew better about their, those traders' business uh, than the traders knew themselves. Um, because these traders know their customers, they know where they come from, they know what, what works for them. And uh, so I think it, it, it has been uh, disappointing. We share the ultimate objective about less cars, about greener, open, inclusive spaces in our city centres. But to do that, you've got to work with uh, independent retailers. And I think at times, not just uh, with these two cities, increasingly I've picked up uh, concerns from members from the, uh, who talk about the Department of Infrastructure as if those independent retailers are somehow part of the, the problem rather than part of the solution. And very much they are part of the solution. The future of our town and city centres is not less independent retailers, it's more independent retailers. So what I would urge the department is to work with those traders uh, to come up and co-design solutions that work for those uh, town and city centres. And this ask is not unreasonable. We're only asking for what your uh, constituents have ported down in Lurgan, in Bambridge, and I don't think that in any shape or form or way, shape or form, that that's an unreasonable act, particularly as we start this long road back towards recovery. Yeah, no, I, I certainly can testify for the, for the benefits of such an approach in, in the town centres and in, in my own constituency. And that's what consultation there was when the controlled parking zones were introduced. I'll refer to my two, two colleagues in that. Um, it's Eamon here. So um, the controlled parking zones were introduced in 2008 and um, it's a moot point as to what consultation there was. I, I can certainly only speak from Murray and I see no evidence of any structured or formal consultation. I have received anecdotes of conversations with councillors in the local chamber of commerce but received nothing substantive whatsoever or nothing that would give us comfort and particularly nothing about a review mechanism. Okay. And Gary, any perspective from Lisbon? Um, absolutely similar. Uh, inside um, Lisbon and Castlereagh, uh, we can see no um, consultations or, or no talking whatsoever about CPZs before they were just suddenly sort of arrived on the scene in 2000 and well just after 2000 before 2008 um, so we, we've got nothing to be able to support it they just appeared in Lisbon and Uri and why Lisbon and Uri no idea and we got nothing back from DFI to support that either and finally, before I go to members, what is the, the role in the view of the, your respective councils in relation to this matter? 
um, it's Eamon here. So uh, Newry Morn and Down, have, our councils are primarily responsible for off-street parking. On-street charging is DFI. So Newry Morn and Down have uh, originally written to support our efforts, um, but are currently in the process of doing a, a, an off-street parking review. So we, we fully detail out where we are, but I, I, I think Gary's Lisbon's relationship is the way forward, and I let him do that. But I would very be very optimistic that Newry will support us. Okay. And Gary? Uh, we've approached the council um, over the last year and prior to that on other parking matters and they've been very, very supportive. Chief Executive and all 40 councillors have backed uh, a letter into DFI calling for this to be uh, revoked or at least uh, a pilot scheme to be put in place to sort of gather the evidence to uh, back up any further uh, uh, cancellation of this CPZ. So we've got 100% uh, support from our five MLAs, our local MPs, Jeffrey Donaldson, and all 40 councillors within South Lisbon and Castlereagh City Council. And Chair, maybe if I could just make a, a, I mean, a further comment, because what we need to be focused on today are what are the solutions. I think what the solution is that uh, the powers over on-street car parking should be transferred to councils. We have this bizarre situation that in order to get fairly minor changes to car parking in two of our city centres, that we have to get a decision from the minister. Any other part of, I suppose, these islands, you know, it would be the local council making the decision on this. Um, so we have this bizarre scenario where off-street is given to councils, uh, but on-street is still the Department of Infrastructure. So that limits straight away the ability of councils to design parking schemes which work for their traders and for their town or city centre. Uh, and likewise as well, what's not been in your area of scrutiny, you know, we also need the regeneration powers passed down to councils as well because that would give those councils the real ability to be the change makers uh, and the driving force, driving change, uh, you know, as we begin to ask ourselves, well, what does success look like for post-pandemic high streets? Okay, thank you. Uh, and again, I'm going to go now to members and ask them please to be to be to the point and specific because we do have quite a bit of interest in the, the matter. So I'm going to go and in this order to Liz, then Andrew, Dolores, and Cahill. Thanks, Chair, and thanks to Glenn, Gary, and Eamon. It's great to see you again. Um, I mean, Nuri is part of my constituency, and it's something I've been lobbying on for some time. Um, I suppose, with Glenn, even in terms of the summary of your engagement with the department and the meeting you've had with officials is very disappointing. Um, and I think it's it's actually quite frustrating that, that there seems to be an approach where they're not really listening to the people who know what's happening on the ground. I mean, it's totally contrary to what we're supposed to be about in terms of how we do business um, and the whole. So, I mean, to date, have the, have the department given any rationale or explanation why they haven't committed to a review of the current situation before now, even before this has been raised? Um, it just seems madness that when, when there's such an overwhelming um, response and review on, the, on this issue, that it's, it seems to be just ignored. Um. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Emma. Right. Thanks, Liz. So basically, there doesn't seem to be a formal agreement or structure in place. And our only record of as a review is department's correspondence with uh, Lisburn in 2009 about initial review. We haven't seen the terms of reference nor the results. I've been engaging with department officials for several years to look at this 
and all I'm getting is defensive uh, responses to try and justify the inequity. Um, we have spoken to the Minister in a Zoom call about active travel, and I raised this, and we were promised a review, but it's not time-framed, and it's subject to a range of other variables that could drift. What we're asking for is a fairly prompt time-framed review, and we really appreciate your support in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think that was actually the next point I was going to come to. Was there any time frame given? I know that the Minister had sort of touched on, on the possibility of a review, but as you said, I think now is a crucial time, particularly due to the pandemic. I mean, I've certainly, and Eamon, you'll know this from a new perspective, I've certainly been engaged with businesses quite frequently over the last um, 18 months, and, and it is one of the, the biggest issues, certainly in this area. Um, I mean, there's been no time for it at all. I think a proposal for one hour free parking sounds like a happy medium, you know, on a pilot basis. And, and looking over the last year, one of the issues I had raised with the minister and she did take action on was um, taking away parking charges during the pandemic to try and support businesses. And I think the fact that that was implemented so quickly um, you know, shows that if there's a will, this could be done, um, particularly on a trial basis. So it's it's disappointing that there's such resistance to this. Um, I mean, if, if that trial was forthcoming, how would you like to see it played out, do you think, over six months? Or have you given any thought to um, how long a pilot could work? Well, maybe if I, I just sort of... I mean, I think six months is a workable time frame uh, in all of this. And that would gather be able to... Based, a final decision based on the evidence. Um, but again, that has been knocked back. Um, so it is very frustrating where we go from here. And maybe if I could put it into you know, wider context, we still have ongoing challenges with uh, traffic, overzealous traffic attendance. And you know, that's still a, an issue which is, is ongoing. Yes, we have towns where the practice is really good. There's engagement with traders and the traffic attendance. Traffic tends have an important role to make sure that we get the turnover of traffic. But at the heart of what we're asking is, 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 is levelling up. Because if you look at the major out-of-town retail de destinations, they have free car parking. They have no traffic attendance. They have the public transport system uh, adjusted to suit them. They, they actually pay less square footage and rates than many of the town centre traders as well. So there is clearly not a level playing field between our town and city centres and out of town. And the worrying thing, and this again is an issue for Department of Infrastructure, we're now starting to see councils irresponsibly grant out of town retail applications. At the very, very time where these town and city centres need to be starting to focus on regeneration, so again, that's something we'd like to see the minister take a hands-on role and you know start to scrutinise uh, these applications. But at the heart of it, it is about ensuring there's a level playing field for Lisbon and Mary with other with other towns that surround them. And we have not we have heard uh, from members in those towns that have the one R free that it works for their business because the basic shop now is not a trolley shop. It is a small basket shop because people are doing a shop every two or three days. So having that first hour free enables them to quick a nip around the shops and away again. And so and that works in, in numerous other towns. And we think that you know, given that uh, obviously public transport for some of the shoppers that come into Neary in Lisbon may not be an option. 
and likewise they do rely on the car, that this is a small, reasonable ask that will help two of our major city centres on the road to recovery. And we can't, for the life of us, understand why the department has dug its horns in on this issue. Okay. Uh, thank you. And so just my final points on that because you mentioned there around um, overzealous enforcement and certainly in your if you look at the figures, even the figures that you have provided as part of your presentation, which is during a period when there's less cars on the road because of the pandemic, the, the volume of tickets um, issued um, in comparison to other areas, I certainly noted in comparison to Derry, which obviously isn't a sleeping place. Is, is just shocking. And I mean, I know from speaking to people locally that it's, it's definitely a deterrent for people going into the town centres. Um, and the department said that, oh, the CPZs help with congestion issues. But I mean, is, I think there's an indication there that, that these areas, in fact, you know, areas that don't have a, have a better traffic management, certainly in, in your, the main streets where we would be, be focusing on, where there's on-street parking, charges, you're talking about people running in and out to the pharmacy, maybe running into a coffee shop, things like that. And an an R free, I think, is, is is a small ask in trying to regenerate and support our town centres. So I mean it's, it's certainly I'm very supportive of this of the proposal here. I think it's a no brainer and I think as a committee and um, we should be doing all we can to um, try and support our small retailers and trying to regenerate and get people back on track. Okay. Um, so uh, thank you for the presentation. Thank, thank you, Liz. And I suppose we'll get into comments from members after members have asked their original questions in relation to a way forward. So can I now call in Andrew Muir, please? Um, thank you, Sharon. I'll be brief because I'm conscious of time here. But um, I agree with what Glenn said about the need for devolution of responsibilities around this to local councils and local representatives are the best people to make decisions in relation to local issues. And I'm conscious that there is... Uh, even members of the committee, where this is their local area, and these are the people who know the issues and are able to determine that um, going forward. So I think that is an important issue. And I also think that the department does need to listen to local issues and concerns around these things. Uh, I know Glenn's concerns about sometimes traffic attendance being overzealous. Uh, in, in my case, there are certain parts of my constituency where we want them to be uh, present on a much more of a basis, really, to be honest, as well. So there is a need for this to be. Um, cognizance of the local issues. Just just two questions really. Um uh, and you touched upon it a wee bit, Glenn, in terms of the sort of the need to, for a green recovery. And it's just maybe an update on what efforts are being done in both of the areas, just to promote active travel and public transport and whether there's any more that can be done in that regard. And then the other one really was that um I think there's some desire to maybe to look at um to suspend the needs as part of the immediate post COVID emergency, but just any views that if they did, if that occurred, uh, the risks existing in terms of being able to move beyond that after that initial period, and whether that was designed to become a permanent arrangement. Well, before I bring my two colleagues, maybe I talk on the, on the bigger. We're, we're absolutely. I mean, the world has changed since uh, the pandemic, and there's no doubt that part of the success for post-pandemic high streets will be more green, open spaces. It will be about moving people rather than cars. It will be about promoting sustainable transport options, whether that's walking, cycling, or public transport. We get that. But it is about ensuring there's choice for the shopper. And part of that choice has to be accessible and affordable. So it's about bringing, I think, traders uh, a lot. 
broader process. I, and I noted one, uh, there's one uh, very significant uh, sustainable transport organization or green organization say, was comparing what's been done in Paris uh, about our city centre removing lots of, public, or lots of, of uh, car parking spaces. Now, you know, this is Hill Street. This is Bow Street. This is not the Sons Elysee. You know, we've got to make sure we get schemes and that work for our individual town and city centres. Um, and that includes, you know, and that includes everything that we've said. And it means that it isn't quite developed agenda about, you know, strengthening and empowering uh, local traders and local councils that they can shape and co-design, um, you know, 21st century town and city centres. Okay. Happy enough, Andrew? Yeah, it's just one of the concerns that this was, this was uh, costs were suspended as part of the post-COVID recovery, whether that would then be very difficult to reverse anything or change anything, or if it just was a temporary measure. Uh, well, we're not talking about suspending enforcement because you would still have enforcement after the first hour, as is in the case, as you know, in Bangor and Hollywood um, and other, where if, if you go over your first hour, you get a ticket. So there will still be enforcement that will still be the turnover of cars in both Murray and Lisburn. So, you know, in port, we're not asking for a free-for-all. This is about bringing Lisburn and Murray into line with Bangor uh, uh, and Hollywood and other places. Yeah. If, if I could just interject and add to what Glenn said, Andrew, and in relation to one of your points about you didn't have enough wardens in certain locations, um, wardens have a difficult job and an important role to play. One of the anomalies of a CPZ is we have a dedicated warden team, so we're over-enforced. And that's highlighted in the numbers we've shown, like on, on a quick and dirty calculation, you're at 15 tickets per, per uh, 100 estimated population in Newry. So what we're asking for is fairness, and we want, want wardens to be part of the solution. So we're, it's not just one hour free, it's also a fair and proportionate enforcement model with that. And the second thing in relation to active travel, we're very much involved in active travel. And the futures of our town centres, retail will no longer be the anchor tenant. Our futures are based on experiences and retail changing about open, green, healthy, experiential living, where people work, rest and play in our town centres. And unfortunately, we, need, we don't have the infrastructure to remove the car. Over 95% of the people travelling in Newry travel by car. We don't have a town centre train station. So we've got to live with the modalities of today. And if we don't live with them, we won't be here. So um, CPZ reform is essential to that. Okay. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Can I move to Dolores, please? Um, oh, thanks, Chair. Um, uh, thanks very much for the presentation. Uh, can I just ask for a couple of points of clarification, just in terms of uh, the level playing field that you've touched on on a number of occasions? Because I, I'm sure, Chair, as you're aware, you know, we, we do have on-street charging in areas and there's no first-hour free. So I just wondered, what do you mean by the level playing field? Well, uh, maybe if I can, if you take an example, and you know, Dolores, you know, I know Banbridge sort of very well. Um, you know, you have one-hour free on Murray Street, you know, so the likes of, you know, businesses like Quails, Donaghy's, they rely on that first hour free. Um, a lot of this, uh, the Windsor Bakery or any of those businesses there, whatever, that first hour free suits a lot of rural shoppers. Uh, 
get a, a quick job, quick cup of coffee, and away again. So, you know, that is essentially what we are asking for in Newry and, and Lisburn. Um, admittedly, yes, you have a situation where, where Belfast City Centre has uh, paid on street, but obviously that's a very different proposition. Uh, on a much larger, I mean, ultimately, you know, and I, I think that, you know, the Belfast City Centre is going through a huge period of, of change, and that would be an entire session on its own. But essentially, uh, what the traders in uh, have in Banbridge is what we want for New York. <coughs> I mean, that, that's helpful, Glenn, to use those illustrations, I have to say. Um, but in terms of the council and the car parks, you know, have you had any discussions with, with the councils around free car parking? Um, I know all the local authorities and indeed the infrastructure is scrambling around for whatever income they can. Um, Sorry, George, could I ask all other members to please mute? Uh, it's just we're getting a lot of feedback on the line. Um, Dolores, if I could come back on that, um, just be clear, this is not about free parking. Uh, and secondarily, the key point in all that is about fair enforcement. So whatever the parking model is, um, it should be fair. And the problem we have at the minute is we have a mishmash of parking models. Um, a lot of them aren't evidence-based, and all we're looking for is a review. So councils are primarily involved with off-street parking and obviously are trying to protect their income. The CTZ is an on-street issue. So if you look at an example of, of Lurgan, um, you know, Newry, you're, you're more likely to get five times a ticket in Newry than you are in Lurgan, primarily due to the over-enforcement of the CPZ. Now, all we're asking is fairness, nothing else. That's simple as that. Well, I think if somebody, uh, I think everybody would want to have <laughs> something done about the, the issue of the fines. There's no doubt about that. That's something we could regularly hear. But but surely, uh, um, in ter you, you said you weren't asking for free parking, but Glenn did say about the first hour free. You know, yeah. has that been asked? The, the, first hour free, the first hour free is part of our proposed solution. Uh, that's a DFI issue, so that will be a loss of income to DFI, but it's relatively marginal to where it is. Um, and I mean, if there was a standardisation of parking solutions across the province, there may be ways to compensate that elsewhere. So it is one hour free, but it's a de minimis change in the overall context. Newry at 4,090 tickets during lockdown, um, um, Lurgan at 657, Kilkeel at 68. It, it just doesn't stack up to examination. Can I, can I step in a sec? Go ahead. It, it, to, this <laughs> causes a lot of confusion. This uh, one hour free, it's the only hour that's free because it, the actual sign says first hour only and then no return within an hour. So you, you only park for an hour and uh, there's no charge, but you've got to leave after that other hour, other, otherwise you're uh, liable to uh, a fine and there's no return within an hour. So that's what it is exactly. So. That, that's what we're asking for here. It's just the same as every other town and city centre. That's what they have on their local high streets. And yeah. as for the over enforcement on the uh, on the on the red coats, um, absolutely, we have a similar issue. We have even the mayor's car got booked one time up in Market Square by a red coat with a flag on the front of it. So if even the mayor's not exempt from getting a, a, a ticket these days, but our delivery drivers are, are coming under difficulties there as well when they can come into areas and get their red coats. There's an overabundance of them, and they have to carry out checks, particularly when they're de uh, delivering uh, chilled food, and they have to be close to where they're having to drop off, and it causes is uh, 
untold amounts of conflict and difficulties, such that the, our um, retailers are being threatened with not even get, get some of their supplies because of the tickets that some of the van, van delivery drivers are getting. Okay, thank you. Doris, happy enough? But no, no, they never really asked, answered my question in relation to the council and the, whether or not there's an R3 in the council car parks. And uh, just on the issue of the loading bays, because um, that is an issue uh, that I have had difficulties with here in, in William Street, actually, in Lurgan. But actually, uh, it was the councils that said no to some of the, the loading bays being made available um, to delivery vehicles because of their environmental improvement schemes. If I could just sort of say, put, put this into context, um, just to be very clear, we're looking for one hour free on street, which is the current responsibility of DFI. In relation to off street, now we successfully lobbied when we had the regional development department for uh, each of those, and it was introduced by Danny Kennedy when he was minister, of five hours for a pound. Now, that, that, that came in as they transferred to the councils. Now, we said, look, councils may want to change this and adapt this because different towns have different dynamics, traders have different, have different needs and asked. And that's exactly what happened. Some kept it, some didn't, some changed. And that's entirely right. But it, it almost sort of points to this ridiculous thing that we have to go to the Assembly Infrastructure Committee, the Minister for Infrastructure, to get relatively minor changes to car parking which should be the responsibility of a council committee because the councils with their chambers of commerce and their business improvement districts, they know best what is good for their uh, town and city centre. The very fact that we have to take up your valuable time uh, to discuss this shows that you know, we need to complete that journey of devolution to the rest of our councils because we need, we need to start empowering uh, local traders because they're the ones that we need to put in the driving seat who will drive the recovery and create those 21st century town and city centres. Okay. Okay, thank you. Can we now go to Cahill, please, for a question? Thank you, Chair. I'm going to thank all the presentees who come before us today, and Glenn and, and Eamon and Gary. No, just a couple of points, Chair. Obviously, most of the questions have been asked, but just, just Eamon in particular. Eamon, I mean, clearly. One, obviously, 2009 was to be a review, and you haven't seen any evidence of that. And, and they asked in the context of reading here, DFA has said, you know, that in, in terms of Lisbon and Uri, that parking enables this cafe culture and all these things and helps the congestion. Well, I mean, we need to see evidence of all that. And, and the only way I'd say that through a review or, or evidence that the department has, but the one thing that I would support, and I'm sure I know you will support us in this here. I mean, and I appreciate Andrew's comments in relation to active travel and all of that. The, the issue for us is here, we're coming out of a major pandemic, and, you know, we need to try and look to our, our city centres to see what we can do, how we can work together, but we need to play a big part in the economic recovery, and I, I would be supportive of any measures that will try and assist with that there. Um, certainly in terms of the environmental, but but just a few wee comments. Annie has wanted to speak on terms of where the evidence is in terms of congestion relief and all those things. Um, thanks, Cahill. Um, DFA have made a number of claims about the benefits, which are at best tenuous, and to date we have received no evidence to substantiate these claims. 
And indeed, those claimed benefits typically run contrary to our actual physical and empirical research, where we have carried out multiple consultations, uh, both with traders and visitors, and parking and the unfairness of our Lisburn and Murray's parking situations come to the fore. So, um, we, and, and we've repeatedly asked for evidence of the benefits. So, to put it in context, I'm responsible for parklets in Uri. I also lead the coordination of pavement cafes. We are very much in favour of cafe culture. We're very much in favour of innovation as we evolve in the post-COVID world. To date, I have not had one conversation with a member of the hospitality business as to how the central parking zone improves parklets, cafe culture, or denigrating the central parking zone would hinder their future operations. So what I would say in addition to DFI is they're just making unsubstantiated claims. They're not facilitating a review. And they're not listening, as Glenn said, to the people who live and work on the ground. And it's quite high-handed and arrogant, if I'm being honest. Okay. Have enough, Cahill? Yeah, sure. I mean, most of the questions are asked, but I'm happy to have a conversation with the committee to see okay. how we take it forward. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Right. And finally, question over to David Hilditch, and then the committee will, will have a discussion on, on action points. Th thanks, Chair and gentlemen. You're, you're very welcome today to the committee, and thank you for your presentation. On your penultimate paragraph of your uh, written uh, submission to us, you asked for a fair solution. Now, I can identify and support most of those, but there is one where we want a fair managed parking solution. CPZ's nowhere or everywhere. Now, why would I support if you're going to meet the Minister to lobby for everywhere? And Carrigan and Lauren get these monstrosities or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure how I can support that, to be honest now. <laughs> that catchphrase is mine, and I think that's why Glenn's here to stop me promoting that they go everywhere if they're so good. <laughs> uh, I'm, saying that, I'm saying that facetiously, and uh, I, I would wish these on nobody else at this time of I can understand the equality of the whole thing, and I support you in, in, in trying to gain that. But please drop the everywhere. <laughs> Now, thanks, thanks, David, uh, and I think it's a point well noted for, for us all. Uh, look, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for presenting to the committee. Uh, I'm going to now open it up for a conversation with members as to a, a best way forward. I suppose listening to the presentation myself, uh, I, I do fundamentally agree with the point that local people and local traders do know best regarding the situations and circumstances of their own individual and respective towns. Uh, so, in looking at the uh, requests from uh, the group, um, you know, firstly requesting a meeting with the minister, I think that's that should go without question that I would support that, and I think probably the majority or well the committee would would agree that there should be an engagement there with the department and the minister regarding a sustainable solution going forward. Uh, I, I suppose I don't understand why that hasn't happened to date. Uh, in relation to the urgent time frame review, COVID reopening ch challenges compounded by uh, the, the parking zones. Um, I think what was mentioned there, uh, I think it was Glenn that had mentioned it, and it's something that maybe that certainly I would maybe support in the committee, but I'll take members' views, is re the request for uh, um, a six-month pilot in relation to uh, a parking uh, one hour for sure free. I know many of my own towns and my constituency benefit from it. I do know the benefits that are there, but I think a review or a pilot scheme uh, in relation to that uh, would be warranted, and therefore we can we could take it up after that, or the department could, as to its benefits in conjunction with the council and uh, the local retailers. 
Would members be content that that would be an appropriate way forward, or would any member like to contribute? I see Liz's hands up first. Those guys are still with us. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I mean, I certainly, firstly, I agree with um, you know that we propose for a meeting with the minister, and secondly, I'd support your proposal in terms of a pilot. I think. Time is of the essence here. Um, businesses are on their knees. There's many businesses I know in, in this area that will, that will not reopen. Um, so we need to be trying to get things in place that will help with it. So I, I certainly support that proposal. Secondly, I think it's also important, and it's based on some of the last few comments there from um, the witnesses, that um, we asked the department to back up um, the claims that they have referenced within their, you know, their, you know the in terms of why CPCs are so good that they think this. So I think we need to we need to see evidence of that because as, as some of the representatives today have said, um, it certainly goes contrary to what we're hearing on the ground. And I, I also think that we do need a wider review of the scheme um, that has been in place for, for, for this length of time as well. So that, that would just be my additions to the comments you've already made, Chair. Thanks. Are any other members looking to come in on this point? Uh, I, I see, very, see three very clear action points. I see, first of all, the committee writing in support of uh, the group in relation to facilitating a meeting with the minister or departmental officials. Secondly, um, I see a potential for us to request that those parking and enforcement officials, or indeed the minister, come before the committee at some stage. Uh, early following the recess to discuss the wider uh, parking enforcement and CPZs, uh, and, and thirdly, that the committee would support uh, the potential for a, a six-month pilot scheme in relation to one-hour free on-street in the respective areas, as has been suggested in the presentation. Are any members in disagreement with those action points? Agreed. Are we agreed, members? Agreed. Hold on. Members are coming into spotlight. Agreed. Members are agreed. Okay. Thank you, members, uh, agreed. and thank you to those that give the presentation. Okay, members. Moving on to, we have quite a bit of feedback on the line. Is that coming from a member. No. Yeah, it's on Okay. Fine now. Uh, members, moving on to agenda item number ten, our forward work program. Can I draw members' attention to the proposed draft work uh, forward work program? for next week's meeting at page 174, Draft Forward Work Programme. Members have no issues? No? Okay. Uh, agenda item number 11, any other business? Have members any other items of business they wish to raise? I suppose one thing that I would like to raise, um, I'm, continued, I'm continually getting correspondence uh, from, from those that are having trouble accessing MOT services. Uh, I know we had the DVA up with us, but I, I still sense that there is quite a, a degree of backlog, and I'm hearing reports now, in particular, from those second-hand car dealers who, who have cars that they cannot sell and are sitting in their yards and devaluing uh, because they can't get access to MOTs. Uh, members, I know we've had briefings on this before, but I think it is important that we as a committee you know, really do home in on this. And, and I again would would look towards the committee uh, writing again to DVA just to, to 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 stress that we are continuing to get these. I don't know if other members are getting this as well. Uh, that there's some now that aren't even able even even able to get a booking slot, uh, even at some distance away. So it is still a, a, a running issue, and I, I think we as a committee need to keep our hand on that. I see Dolores has our yes, sorry, it's Dolores has her hand raised. Dolores. Uh, this is another matter. I don't 
don't disagree with that, Chair. Um, but my issue is about the Infrastructure Commission. I mean, we, we've seen how important, you know, from NIW and others, how... Is it you still on, Chair? I can't see. Hello? Can't see you, Dolores, but we can hear you. Firstly, I just our members, oh, yeah. con our members content with the point I raised on DVA. Yes, content. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. Dolores, on you go. Second. So it was just in relation to um, the, infra um, the infrastructure commission. I, um, it has hasn't uh, got off TEO's desk, so I don't know whether uh, the committee can write to TEO or whether we have to write to TEO committee. To ask for any update, but you know, given the importance of infrastructure as an economic driver, I would have thought it was imperative we, we got that resolved sooner rather than later. Okay, well, I, I think what we could do as a starting point is write to the TEO or to the executive uh, asking for an update as to where that stands. I think that's a good starting point for the committee. So, are members content to take that point forward? Yes, agreed. Mm -hmm. Okay, Andrew. Just agree with Dolores around that, um, and there is some month around highlighted these issues. Uh, where there's money available but hasn't been allocated because there's no bids for it. So it's important we write to TU around this issue because the failure to establish an infrastructure commission is actually inhibiting our economic recovery. Okay. So members are content to write to the executive office in relation to that point. Okay, agenda item number... There's no other points for any other business members? No, I don't see anybody indicating. Uh, so item, agenda item number 12, date, time and location of next meeting. The next meeting will take place at 10am Wednesday the 15th of September 2021 in the Senate Chamber Parliament buildings. There will be a strategic planning day uh, arranged for Wednesday the 8th of September 2021. So thank you members and can I advise all of those members while leaving at the meeting, those who are in present, to remove their own papers, water, bottles, etc. as they leave. Thank you members, the meeting is adjourned. Thanks, Chair. 29. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 29. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly.